the garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all can be with us today. We are here in the studio and alive and awake. Yeah, well... Mm-hmm. That's relative. Right, exactly. I'm Veda with Palladia. And I'm Kenneth with Danwest Garden Centers. Yeah, and I'm retired. <laughs> you know, that's all he needs to say. That's that's right. that's it. I'm Jim Crowder. Say no more. He just wants to make us jealous every morning. Absolutely. I told Gina, uh, I told Jim that he's he's taking over Facebook. Uh-huh. You know, I get on Facebook now, and all I get are the pictures mm-hmm. and the wonderful questions yeah. about, you know, gardening on Mid South Gardening, his the webpage that he started. Yeah. How many years ago? Be three years, four years ago now. Mm-hmm. Started it a year before um, we came to. Well, this thing's getting a little out of hand. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> just telling you. Yeah, I noticed there. This this week was definitely pictures of showing some heat stress things, and of course insects and birds. Really, mm-hmm. saw a lot of good bird pictures too. I really enjoyed that. Uh, but yeah, heat stress is a thing because it's, it's still been raining, but it's not been raining enough. And it had, you know, yesterday or last night they were talking about the amount of rain that they'd had around Memphis yesterday. Mm-hmm. And then we're going one and a half, two inches. I got a quarter of an inch yeah. in my house. You yeah. Know, I didn't get anywhere near that kind of rain. Yeah. But I tell you, it depends on where you are I'm in sure. Shelby mm-hmm. County. I mean, it's crazy. You can yeah. go down the street and it's flooded. Mm-hmm. Go to my house and it's desert. Right, mm-hmm. right. You know? So you have to keep up with your watering because it could have not hit your area yeah. or not as much. Because they were yesterday, they were like, "Oh, we don't have to water today." And I said, "Give it to about one o'clock because it didn't get deep enough to any, you know. I mean, it bought bought you some time, <laughs> but not enough, not enough water." Well, you know, one thing, and I've had two people bring me pictures, and one person brought me a sample this week. There has been some overwatering uh, when it comes to vinca, periwinkle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know how they get that black stem and they just start yeah. to wilt and they just well, collapse they on you. They yellow. Yeah, before, they, you know, yeah. they start just looking horrible. And usually the beginning of all that is excessive moisture, mm-hmm. too much water. Now, I know that's a little misleading because there are certain bedding plants out there that just want to stay almost bone dry. And that's one of them. So it doesn't take a whole lot to overwater vinca. True. So I'm just telling you, and in, 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 in both cases, uh, this vinca was also under irrigation. Mm. Okay? So irrigated, being irrigated was probably plenty enough. But with the advent of all this rain that we've had, uh, I've seen a good bit of periwinkle start to go down. And plus, as hot as it can be out there. So, um, Man, but... Still, if we had to choose springs and summers to have, so far I would choose this spring and this summer. Because it's been a mild spring, a longer spring, and now the summer's mm-hmm. coming up, but we've been getting some frequent rain. Oh, yeah. Nice, well, I was going to say some nice breezes, but some of the people that have lost their trees are thinking otherwise. Well, you remember so back to take that out. You remember last year mm-hmm. how hot and dry yeah. it was for six weeks right, at a time. I right. mean, blazing hot and no rain, none. Uh, so yeah, I'm with you, Vade. I'll, I'll take this over. Yeah. And look, we're going to have hot, humid weather around here. Yeah, we just are. Is, yeah. 
so but so what about the vinca y'all do i mean i told the both of us to look at this point all you can do is get in there and just kind of clean them up pull out the dead looking plants and then jim come back and drench the soil with some subdue or agrifos or yeah. something you know that might get phytophthora or pythium or whatever down there but mm-hmm. and then hope for the best yeah. right and then you know i was also uh thinking that and i've read before you know when it comes to periwinkle in particular uh as just a bedding plant which i love uh i think it's good to rotate that crop <laughs> yeah I, in fact i when it first really started being a problem many years ago here uh i told people just to not replant for three years mm, in know? that same spot that's right plant so, something else other than vinca before you go back with it if you start having that problem uh-huh. because the problem is in the soil no yes. doubt and you know it's always there uh, it's kind of like volutella blight on boxwoods we're seeing so much of. It's always there. It's just that when the conditions are right, it becomes a problem. Mm-hmm. And years ago when I started, uh, when I moved to Memphis and was starting to do all the, the natural stuff, there was two rows of vinca, and they were turning yellow. They weren't getting, I didn't see the aerial phytophthora kind of look at all. They were just turning yellow. Right lightly and think, and then they were grown up pretty well too. So they weren't brand new. I divided it up, and I did this one with nothing. Of course, it's hard not hard to beat something you do nothing with. Right. But didn't do anything with that. And then the other one I used, this oh, the soil soup. I was experimenting mm. with the soil soup. And so I put worm casting soil soup. Did it a couple of times, and it cleared up what was wrong with the vinca, which in that case must have been a nutritional issue. Well, and since you know it's impossible to get soil soup, which used to be a liquid fertilizer that was made you know with Mm -hmm. these great products that would you know you'd put it in this big tank add the water add the molasses and you would agitate Mm -hmm. uh this solution and come up with soil soup which was a liquid that you poured into the soil it was great for the soil it was like bat guano and worm castings and um Mm -hmm. And then you had to take it home and use it right Right. then. That's right. And you had to shake it on your way home, too. (laughs) Uh, But but there are products out there on the market now that you can buy, like, let's just say Fox Farm Big Bloom. You know, that is a completely organic liquid plant food. Really good product. Uh, There's Garrett Juice. Uh, And, of course, there's always liquid seaweed. And then there's Fox Farm Comeback Formula. Yeah. You know, all those products are really good to use on plants that are under a lot of stress, I should put mm-hmm. it that way, mildly. When I took the uh, tiger bloom and put it in a clear bottle because I was splitting it with uh, one of the girls at work, and normally I like to use the big bloom, but we didn't have a lot of that left, so I was like, oh, we just got tiger bloom, I'll use that. And so when I put it in a clear bottle, because it's the one that's got some uh, organic with it and then some synthetics, uh, some <clears throat> synthetics. Mm-hmm. and and it was kind of like how they say on those bags of manure, where you get manure, but just a little bit of it's manure. Well, I got a lot of fertilizer, but a smidge of it was fish emulsion in the organic product. But you could definitely still, just that smidge, you could still smell that fish emulsion. Oh, yeah. Just with that little bit. It doesn't take a whole lot of fish emulsion. Right, to... you can still smell it. But so I, I kind of... Do you remember when... Ortho's fish emulsion used to be in a glass bottle. Yes, I do. No, and every I don't year remember when that. I was working in the garden center at Sears Crosstown years ago, this gentleman came in and he was wearing a top hat, spats, carrying a cane. I mean, he looked like, good. He oh, yeah. really uh-huh. did. 
and he swung around and hit a bottle of that <laughs> quart bottle of oh fishing bolt, and it broke on a concrete floor. Ew. Oh, all those products made of were in glass. Oh, it was terrible. <laughs> oh my gosh, in glass. Let me think. Did I when I came into the industry? Was there anything in glass at that time? It's crazy. Yeah, see, uh, everything in ortho, other than I think their upstart. You're right. Wow. Was you know was glass was glass. And yeah. I don't wow. why. Who knows. But all it takes is one time, one time <laughs> yeah. to go through what Jim's talking about, uh-huh. and, and you'll have a disdain for yeah. fish emulsion, which I love the product. Yeah. Don't get right. me wrong. And I made a mistake one time of, of using some in uh, in some indoor plants. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's not really days. a good idea. It lasts for days. <laughs> but I yeah. really think, and of course, there's low odor, uh, you know, fish emulsions now. But most of the uh, products that have fish emulsion in it now, it's, it's not that bad. I know, know. they've figured out how to subdue the smell somewhat. It's just not as bad as it used to be. But it's still there. Well, or the time that uh, the guy that worked at the garden center got irritated with the boss. And so he was going to open some uh, coyote urine and just, you know, put it around to around where Josh would be. Which we, which, <laughs> which, which we sell as a right. repellent. But, but he didn't realize just a little bit went a long way. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole bottle he dumped, and I mean, I think people driving down the road could oh, smell yeah. it. We almost had to close <laughs> and leave. It was so horrible. Yeah. Just a little mischievous kid. It's time to get the kitty litter out yeah. and sweep all that oh, stuff up. it was horrible. God. <laughs> well, when we get back from the break, uh, today is a big day. And to my left is Mr. Jim Crowder, okay? Mm-hmm. And he's going to be a judge today at the tomato contest. So today is the day. And hopefully, what is the weather, the official weather. Uh, have we seen it yet this morning, guys? Well, it's yeah, well, let's pull it up. Here. But yeah. I know Jamie and all them, I know they have a plan B to move mm-hmm. this indoors if it is, you know, raining. So uh, today we got a 50% chance of thunderstorms. Which means probably. Uh, but you know, it's not much rain involved. In okay, it, good. So. Oh, I know we do get a lot of nice winds and thunderstorms and no rain, it seems. Yeah, 90 degrees for a high. Not bad. Yeah. So I'm hoping it'll rain just enough to move us into where it's air conditioned. (laughs) All right. There you go. (laughs) Exactly. You know, all over the United States, they're talking about heat waves and heat waves and heat waves. And I'm thinking, gosh, for once, we're not experiencing that. Yeah, usually we're the leader in that. Yeah. July 3rd was uh, the hottest day worldwide average temperature in history. Mm. So it's Mm. uh, it, it most definitely is getting hotter. When you get, you know, the water off the coast of Florida is 92 degrees. Mm-hmm. That's warm. You know? huh. I hope I'm not going to that beach. I don't know. I don't like that cold water. Well, and, and I know we got to go to a break, but also real quick, I know a, a really good friend of mine, retired pilot, and he loves to take pictures of seabirds. And he would always go up to the northern edges of Labrador up in Canada and take pictures of these seabirds. One of the last three or four years, he's noticed that the birds are more offshore mm-hmm. because the water is so warm close to the oh. coastline. And they need, and the fish, you know, in other words, they're following the fish, of course. So the fish are moving out further in that temperatured water that, they're, mm-hmm. that they live in. So I'm like, hmm, maybe we do need to start straightening our act up a little bit. Well, we are trying, that's for sure. Okay, y'all, let's run to a break and give us a call, 901-260-5926. Good 
Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. You can download the app, Mighty 990, and listen to us that way. If you're having trouble picking us up, mm-hmm. you can call us, 901-260-5926. Yeah, you can always go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page and shoot us a text. And Cheryl, uh, on the phone, hang on one second, Cheryl. Uh, well, what to you, well, we'll get to the text here in just a minute. Okay, let's go to Cheryl calling from Marion. Good morning, Cheryl. You're in the oh, garden. Okay. Good hey, morning. Good morning, Thank Cheryl. You. I love your show. Thank you. Thank you, dear. Okay, I my I have lots of celebrity tomatoes and Arkansas Traveler, and there is a, quite a few big ones on them, but they're green. They are not churning. Mm-hmm. And then I have on the other side of the garden, I have really healthy looking tomatoes and they got little yellow flowers but they're not doing anything and also on some of the uh, tomatoes the arkansas traveler i noticed the leaves crinkle up i do water often i don't over water and i try to fertilize uh, both with the organic and the uh, walmart fertilizer mm-hmm. <laughs> so i don't know <laughs> <laughs> well it's not as bad as you think okay the leaves curling up is something called physiological leaf roll. Mm-hmm. It happens when you have high temperatures and lots of sunlight. And it, the tomatoes, the vine and tomatoes are like 99.4% water. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's just not much green to them. Mm-hmm. So when that happens, the leaf curls up so that it protects the upper surface of the leaf and doesn't lose as much moisture. So that's... Okay. Real common. So that's just a physiological thing these tomatoes right. do normally. Yeah. The flowers, oh, okay. the flowers not setting is normal also. When you get warm night temperatures up near 80 or so, they won't set flowers. And again, that's a self defense mechanism because there's not enough moisture for them to support it. They'll start setting again when it gets a little cooler. Now, Jim, with the blooms on Cheryl's blooms uh, that are not setting fruit, I mean, does it? help to go out there and spray them with some tomato set yes okay you can artificially um get them to pollinate but you want to be careful because it can be real stressful on the plant Mm -hmm. okay so and then the ones that are nice and green and big pick them okay go ahead and put them on the on the the windowsill and let them ripen yeah otherwise you risk it's splitting with with having to water it a lot, mm-hmm. and then it dries and water it. That's what causes the splitting in them because they'll take up the water and they then they just can't hold it, so they'll split and crack. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. go ahead and go ahead and pull them, put them on the counter uh, or you know on the on the windowsill, and they'll be fine. Yeah, and and Cheryl, I agree. I think you know when people ask me all the time, you know, what's my top three tomatoes? Uh, Celebrity is definitely one of them, and Arkansas Traveler is another. Uh, I love those two tomatoes. Um, so nothing wrong with the selections that you picked. Uh, it's just the weather's having a little effect on these uh, on these tomatoes. Uh-huh. So how 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 often should I fertilize? And are the uh, well, you know, the um, fertilizers are okay, organic, and those I just buy it. Oh yeah, the fertilizers, fertilizer. You just don't let them see the label, and they don't really care. <laughs> Okay. Oh, okay. That's <laughs> so, funny. You know, but How about often? once a month is about all you need to do. And when it's really hot, you don't really need to do it. You can skip until say the end of August now and then fertilize and, and as it cools down, then you'll start getting fruit production again. Okay, one more question. I have a fig a couple of fig bushes mm-hmm. and 
I just have a lot of weeds under them and different kinds of grass coming up. So my theory is I'm pulling out all the weeds mm-hmm. and can I just put cardboard boxes under them to keep the weeds out? Because I like the cardboard boxes in the garden. They work really well. Well, that would be something I would do if I didn't want to do pulling or weed killing and all. But some people recommend not doing it, but um, I do it, mm. and it works really well. Um, what else could you do? You could spray, like, vinegar, 20% vinegar around um, to on the grass or on the weeds to kill mm. it out. That might take a little longer, though. But for me, I would do cardboard. I would wouldn't mind trying that at all. Yeah, I mean, you might even poke some holes in the cardboard. You don't want to put a barrier down oh, that's going to repel water, Sherilyn. I know, you know, uh-huh. eventually, you know, if you get cardboard wet, it will soak up the water and eventually, water will pass through yeah. it. Yeah, uh, that or put some oh. pine needles down there that's real airy and fluffy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's what I do is put the pine needles over the cardboard and it yeah. keeps the tomatoes out and it's really good. Not a problem. So I may not... I may not have any tomatoes till September when it gets cooler, you <laughs> right? know. Yeah. And and also remember celebrity is a determinate variety. So it it was grown or developed for farmers so that when the crop came in, it came in all at once, they could harvest it, then they could replant something else. Now celebrity will continue to produce a few as we get into the fall. But you get that heavy that heavy yield at one time. One time and then production's uh-huh. gonna go down automatically. Oh, okay. those I green see. ones that you're uh-huh. gonna the green ones that you're gonna pull off and put in your windowsill, you should get those soon though. So maybe you won't have to wait totally till September. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Okay. And, uh, you know, and the green green beans have done really well. My okra's done well. So uh, I, I might plant some more green beans, like in the in the third week in July. You think that would be a good time? That'd be good. Yeah. Or, or field peas. And of course, I like Crowder peas for some reason because <laughs> his last name is Crowder. <laughs> So plant them like the third week in July, you yeah. think? Yeah, well, you'll be fine. Uh-huh. Okay, great. Well, you've all been very helpful. Thank you Thank so much. Hey, thanks You're for welcome. listening this morning. <laughs> thanks, Cheryl. Thank she needs to get a couple of those tomatoes mm-hmm. and them are in the great tomato contest yeah. that's going on today. Right. But I'm telling you, like uh, Cheryl's saying, when these nighttime temperatures are in between 75, 80 degrees like Jim's talking about, don't expect a whole lot of pollination going on. It's pretty tough. That pollen gets yeah. so thick, it's just hard to move it back and forth. And like you said, Jim, also is kind of a defense mechanism. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, that's really neat that she's going to um, plant some more green beans, like in a couple of weeks, to keep having them through the fall. A lot of people, uh, after <clears throat> another a month or so, you're just like, I'm done with yeah. my garden. Mm-hmm. But you can do that again, and then you can have green beans and lettuce. Yeah. yeah. And greens, turnip greens. It's yeah. time to plant those. Yeah. You know, when it starts getting cooler. You know, radishes make in under 30 days. So, I mean, you can grow some of those. There's lots of stuff you can do right. for a fall garden. And then okra, like she said, is coming in big time. Of course, okra loves you know, this heat. The heat, yeah. the hotter the better. Isn't yeah. that crazy? Just yeah. the hotter the better. I mean, I think it's in the cotton family, so mm-hmm. there you go, you know? Yeah, it is. They have pretty blooms, okra does. See, look, look, <laughs> listen to that, Jim. She's admiring <laughs> the blooms you. instead of the wonderful okra that's right. out there. <clears throat> you know, daylilies. That just made me think of daylily blooms, how they're good fried in a with in cornmeal. It, they taste real good like that. And you know how Cheryl was talking about the leaves that curl upward. Mm-hmm. And that Jim's right. That's just tomato leaf roll is what it is. Now there are other things that can cause a tomato leaf to curl upwards. And we're going to talk about too some wilt problems that we've exactly. seen. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah. just that leaf, that that nice looking healthy green leaf curling upward, not a problem because usually. 
sometime at night they'll go back down. Mm-hmm. But it's pretty amazing how those leaves, that tomato would do that to protect itself from mm-hmm. the from the sun. It is amazing the things that can that can do that, and you think tomorrow it's going to be gone. Yeah, you know how many times I've thought I need to water my hydrangeas again, mm-hmm. and they get stick your finger down there, and they're plenty wet, right. but they're wilted. That's what's happening with our tree form <laughs> hydrangeas at work, and I actually set them in saucers so it could get moisture long term, you know, mm-hmm. all day. But it's still the leaves still just wilt like like it's gone. And also, when they come back out of the wilt, they don't have damage on the leaves. I know. That's, isn't that's, that amazing? Yeah, that's what's so strange. And the blooms don't even have an issue. Well, but there is a, a line that you can't cross. There, I mean, honestly, I mean, these plants can take a lot of abuse. And they can take, you know, a lot of times you go out there and you're like, oh, my God, I haven't watered in three days. And things just look so shriveled up that you're thinking they'll never flush back out. And they usually do. But there's if they if you let it there's a line yeah. if it crosses the line they're not going to flush back out yeah so. we get the coast on a new plant and you're going to replace it yeah <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Mm, what do I replace it with this time yes <laughs> well, it's a chance to do we, a whole new plant and well when we get back from the break and I'll we got a few people that have texted in like Judy Woods and we'll see what she had to say but also a lot of people ask the question can I plant shrubs this time of year and that's kind of a two-part answer it is it is there's a lot of questions to ask before you decide to do that all right y'all hang on give us a call 901-260-5926. You sure can, and you can also shoot us a text if you want to, the Mighty 990 Facebook page, Mid-South Gardening. Uh, and Jan, she, uh, Jan Childers, she texted in this morning. She said, thank goodness the anticipated rain for this morning moved through the area faster than originally predicted, okay? Uh, no one wants soggy tomato sandwiches or judges. <laughs> <laughs> soggy judges. No <laughs> need soggy judges out there. With the humidity the way it is, there's still going to be soggy yeah, judges out there. Out there. <laughs> uh, and then Judy Wood, she texted in. She said, uh, good morning. Enjoy listening to your show. Recently uh, learned Mississippi's state fruit is the blueberry. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. both. Where mm. uh, Tennessee's is the tomato, right? Yeah. Uh, and then she said, uh, also, a store-bought tomato tastes like mm, disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't agree with Judy anymore. I mean, most store-bought tomatoes are have been genetically enhanced to look great. And to ship well. And to ship well, Jim. You're yeah. right. Yeah, so that they you can stack them 400 and they won't crush each other. (laughs) And and don't get me wrong, I'd rather have a tomato from a grocery store than not have one at all. Mm -hmm. I just don't have one. And that's what I really like about the the Great Tomato Contest, because this is judged on not only the appearance of the tomatoes, but Mm -hmm. the taste. When I was a a judge with the Mid-South Fair for years and years, all of that is appearance. Yeah. And you could still see the sticky stuff where they had you know, taken the tag off of where they had bought oh. their fruit at the, at the grocery store. You know? <laughs> oh, my god! All of them after, you know, because you get one or two dollars or something like mm-hmm. this for every 
and ribbon it, you and, get, and you know. Great. And there were people racking up big bucks because yeah. they'd enter so many things. <laughs> <laughs> went to different grocery but stores. Yes, I don't care what it looks like. It's also got to taste like a tomato. Well, it's kind of like we we pick our products to purchase sometimes based on what the package looks oh, yeah. like. And so uh, that's what we do with tomatoes. We pick the tomato versus well, because of what the package looks like. It, when sometimes it can be a funky-looking tomato and still be delicious. Well, you know, we buy plants so much on based on the name of it. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't know anything about how it's going <laughs> to perform. You know, it may look a little different, which, which is a plus. You know, but, you know, the example I always use is years ago, there was a, a series of, of hydrangeas that came out that were named after German women. Uh, one of my favorites <laughs> was Frau Rico, and it's a variegated uh, purple and white, white edge, Picotee. It's absolutely gorgeous. I have them planted in front of my house, but they didn't sell because nobody could remember the names of them. <laughs> So they reintroduced them as angel eyes and angel robe and this oh, and, and, they flew and that makes yeah the sales yeah. went up then. Isn't that crazy? Gosh, it is. Maybe it does mean something about what you're named when you're born. Uh, well, it's basically maybe when it comes to plants, and I'm with Jim. If you can't even pronounce the word mm-hmm. or much less remember it, you're not going to get it. Yep. You know. There was this hydrangea. Uh, yeah. What was the name of that? It was some German. Uh, and people are like, what? <laughs> and what about, one of my friends bought the burgundy hydrangea that we had this year. And hers, of course, it's finished blooming, but the blooms are still on it. And no, so it's was mine. beautiful after bloom, I guess you could call it. Yours is like that? Yeah. I like yeah. it. And I wrote down in my notes today uh, that the beautiful shade tolerant macrophilia, you know, big leaf hydrangeas. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not really blooming this year. Had a lady in the garden center, a beautiful hydrangea. You know, they had died all the way to the ground. It came back from the root system, and it looked beautiful, green, and healthy. And they're growing like a weed, by the way, because they all, most of them had a really good root yeah, system. So right, they're growing right. really fast. And she's like, can you, uh, you know, I hadn't seen any blooms. And I said, eh, you're probably not going to. Yeah. And she's like, why? You know, and I was like, well, you know, most of these old-fashioned hydrangeas bloomed this year off of last year's growth. And all of last year's growth was completely frozen to the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're having to start over. And I said, that's one of the problems with hydrangeas here in the Mid-South. You never know what our winter's going to do. Yeah. And they are very susceptible to freezing every winter. Now, every now and then, we'll get a mild winter, and the hydrangeas are absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. Or we won't get that last, you know, really cold spell yeah. where it knocks all that blooming tissue off. But uh, so anybody, in, in, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking everybody knows this. Everybody knows that we're just not going to see any bloom on them. Now, on the sun-loving hydrangeas, like we've talked about, tons of bloom. They're in full bloom right now. But the old-fashioned, shade-loving macrophilias, don't expect any bloom. Now, the new hybrids, you know, like the Endless Summer, for example, they'll bloom off last year's growth, and you'll get some bloom off this year's growth. But there again, don't expect I got, I got a whole one. lot. What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I got one flower in my bloom. entire garden. Yeah. <laughs> so you might see a few little uh-huh. blooms on there, but this year is not going to be a good year for the old shade-tolerant hydrangeas as yeah. far as bloom goes. Right now, we're just happy and excited over one bloom. Well, but all right now, we're excited that they actually came back <laughs> from the ground because they were toast from the tip down to the ground dead 
You know, so the arborescence, the ones that have the fuzzy leaf, those had no problem. They're beautiful. But now, like you said, the lo- the limelights, the little limes, the bobos are right. really showing out. They're so beautiful. And white is such a pretty cool, calming color for the heat of the summer. And even late in the day when it's almost dark. I mean, they're almost mm. glowing. Yeah. Um, I mean, they really are. And I tell you, it, it's just a, think about it. We all love bloom. That's why we mm-hmm. plant a lot of these things. And, the, and these hydrangeas are so tough. Um. I mean, there's just not a whole lot that messes with them, if you think about it. And they have really heavy blooms most of the summer. So to me, it's one of those almost perfect plants. The only way that it would be better if it was an evergreen. Right. That's true. You know? Mm. Wow. I'm trying to visualize that. An evergreen hydrangea with lots of blooms on it. There is an evergreen hydrangea called Dicroa. Is it really evergreen, yeah. Jim? Uh, probably not. Yeah. Most winters here. Yeah. Um, it, but it, when it's in bloom, it has a beautiful, tiny little blue flower, and you can. It is the. I, I've seen more bees on that plant than I have on any plant ever. More than a billion? Oh yeah. When we <laughs> right. when we'd have them That's in the greenhouse, you could walk in the door <laughs> and you could hear the bees. On those plants. That is amazing. Was yeah. it like the bumblebees or just the no, native bees? they were honey, honeybees. Honey and you bees. probably they can't find that hydrangea now if you tried. Right. I th- I've got a piece of one that is struggling. I'm, mm-hmm. Hopefully it'll come back. It was in pretty good shape until this year. <laughs> yeah. And we had, we had a poster uh, from uh, one of our members on the Mid-South Gardening Group that uh, is up in um, Cape Cod, Massachusetts for the Cape Cod Hydrangea Festival. And they had exactly the same problem we did. Almost no flowers from a February freeze. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So. And, and, you know, and that makes me think, you know, a lot of these hydrangeas, I mean, hydrangeas, the old-fashioned hydrangeas, they hate being here. You know, they just, our weather is you just You could not, not pick a worse place to you grow them. You couldn't, Jim. But, you know, Nantucket and Massachusetts and those kind of places, you know, that's where they just mm-hmm. grow on the side of the road. Yeah. Hence Seaside Serenade, hence Nantucket Blue. Right. Yep. <laughs> but, but, but they have crazy winters up there. Yeah. I mean, well, so, you know, the, some of those areas right along the coast are Zone 7. You know, it's just, really not uh, that different. I wouldn't even think about a hydrangea by the coast. But you, yeah. you look at these zone maps and uh-huh. it goes right, you know, across uh, you know Memphis, yeah, right across Florida, straight up the coast on both sides, mm-hmm. and the climate is basically the same thing yeah. that we have here, even up you know towards New York. So amazing. it makes you think, how can we grow these hydrangeas up there? They do perfect up there. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, in fact, the ground freezes harder, longer, so it actually keeps them dormant longer. So they're yeah. less likely to have loose flowers than we are here. This hundred and fifty, two hundred mile. Um, pathway where Memphis is sitting dead center of it is the worst place because our soul freezes and thaws and freezes and thaws. <laughs> if it would freeze, it would be fine. Okay? Freeze and stay frozen. Yeah. Right. If it would not freeze, like in Jackson, Mississippi, it would be fine. But mm-hmm. here, because it does that, you get 10 days of warm weather in late January, February, yep. and they say, oh, it is springtime. Mm-hmm. Let's yep. sprout. Yep. You know, yep. and it doesn't have to have much green on it at all. That bud is swelling and you can't even see the flower. But if a frost gets on it, it's toast. Yeah. Isn't that the amazing? Little buds are just gone. Yep. So strategies, planting strategies. 
Um, let's not plant it with uh, in the hottest spot of your yard. Ever, never. Because your, your soil would thaw out quicker that way. Well, they don't um, like full sun anyway. Right. We're talking about the yeah. shade tolerant. Yeah. And when I say so, shade, well, they can take all the morning sun mm-hmm. you want to give them. I've got one that gets full morning yeah. sun. But the first year that I planted it years ago, that first year it burned around the edges. Yeah. I mean, it just it just did. I don't care how much I watered it, it burned. But that was about the only year that I had the burn around the edge of the leaves. After that second year on, guys, it I mean, it's beautiful. Now, no blooms this year, but it's but it is really pretty and green. Yeah, yeah. I know of no plant that recovers any better than hydrangeas do. Yeah, I'm, I have to agree. I've got a little um lady in red, which when I mm. first got it, I thought was about the worst hydrangea I had ever seen. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I was talking to Michael Durr when he was here, and he said, "Just be patient. Give it four to five years to get established." He said, "You're going to love it." And he's right. Uh-huh. It makes a beautiful shrub. It blooms well. Normally, no blooms this year, mm-hmm. of course, but you know it it was killed totally to the ground, and right now it's three and a half, four feet tall, mm-hmm. perfectly dome shaped, deep red coloration in it. It's it's really a spectacular plant, even when it's not blooming. Even when it's mm-hmm. not blooming, and that was the lady in red. Uh huh. Yeah. I remember that one. I guess it has red stems. Yeah, it has yeah. red stems. I do remember that yeah. one. Yeah. All right, y'all. Let's go to another break. Give us a call. Get us some topics going. What are you interested in? What would you like us to talk about? 901 260. Kentucky bourbon. And drink that. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid South Gardening. Wow, I can't believe we've already went 50 minutes. It's pretty quick this morning. Mm-hmm. Let's be talking about all those tomatoes. The great tomato contest is happening today. Come on out. What time does that start, guys? Uh, I, th- I think it starts at actually at 9, from 9 till around 10 or 11 or 12. They're entering tomatoes. And then I think the judging starts around noon, something like that. Yeah, Love so it. Jamie's already on his way there. He's probably there by now. I'm sure he'll give us a call at some point this morning. Uh, and also, if you want to shoot us a text on the Mighty 990 Facebook page, uh, Mid-South Gardening, and Audrey Fielding, she texted in. She said, ants on my okra, good or bad? Ants. I mean, oh, could it be a yeah. uh, a sign that she has aphids on her? That would be the first thing I would wonder if they're harvesting honeydew from the aphids. Right. Um, I mean, the ants themselves are not going right. to hurt okra. Say, just no. let the ants do their thing. Like, and, I, and I have seen them in... <clears throat> Okra and um, uh, Althea flowers, right? Things like that, just to be feeding on the nectar that's in there. So yeah, it could just be that. So the, I mean, nothing again, to worry about. I mean, the yeah. ants are not hurting anything, but make take a good close look, Audrey, to make sure uh, that you don't have aphids on there. Now, uh, if they're Jim. just up there in the bloom, no big Here, deal. Jim, you can add that to your uh, myth topics. Do you need ants to make peonies bloom? <laughs> yeah, we may just cover that one. Yeah, so it, let's we'll save everybody, that one for next week. Yeah, then. yeah. I hope y'all I'll tune in next week because these two, my two friends and cohorts here, are going to be in Florida Absent. or someplace, and and I think they're going together. I'm really. No, I was like, you yeah, know, I'm going to be in Tampa. <laughs> So anyway, I'll be here doing a solo show, and we're going to talk about myths, garden myths, and we're going to clear up some of this 
garbage just floating around the internet. So. <laughs> now, let me say this uh, it, to Audrey. If you do have ants uh, own vegetables and you don't want them there, uh, then what are some of the products <laughs> that we want to use to spray on there to get rid of them that Uncles? you can safely know that you can safely use on vegetables? Well, what I would I, I, in this case, I would not spray the okra. I would just get some permethrin dust or something like that and sprinkle it around the base of the plant because I got to cross it going up and down. And then, why would you not want to spray it, Jim? Well, it's just no point in it. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. You don't have to, right? And you know, and you don't want to mm-hmm. use anything around the flowers if it's still in bloom, right? Uh, so you want to be careful of that. So all you need, you know, for anything that's climbing up it, then sprinkle a little insecticide on the ground and you're good to go. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was, because like I said, at some point they got to cross that line to get up on yeah. that. Tr- and so, was, what do you do if your okra is not producing for you? Go out there and tell it. It better get its act together and if it's start not producing, producing. It's not producing. It's growing well. So it's throwing some occasional blooms, but it's uh, not producing. Add like nitrogen. Want. Okay. No. What you do is go in and Don't. cut cut every other leaf off. Going all the way up the stem. Mm-hmm. That exposes the stem to more sun. It shocks the plant, and they'll immediately start blooming for you. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yep. But why was it not blooming in the first place? It's healthy. It's not. Doesn't need to reproduce. There. You yeah, know? that makes sense. Yeah. You know, Every other leaf on yeah. your okra. Okra. Mm-hmm. Okra. You leave <laughs> enough foliage to produce food, but mm-hmm. you open it up so that sun can really stress the stem. Yeah. That's and like the same we're doing to try to get wisteria bloom. We stress it by, by root pruning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So if a plant field's threatened, it's going to start blooming. So if you yell, yell at it like That's a drill sergeant, it's so still sole function bloom. in life is to reproduce. Yeah. But, but if you do have ants anywhere that you don't want outside, uh, most of your generic mm-hmm. broad-spectrum insecticides, whether it's a permethrin, uh, or bifenthrin, which is also another really mm-hmm. good That's product good when it comes to ants. Uh, it's in that pyrethroid family, uh, safe to use on ornamentals and vegetables and everything else. So if I if I had to buy just one, and if it was mostly ants I was concerned about, uh, the bifenthrin is That'd the one that one. I would go mm-hmm. for. Mm-hmm. I use diatomaceous earth <laughs> on ants, but there's only certain places you can do that with. Well, I mean, it works great yeah. until it gets damp, Yeah, yeah which so. is, you know, the next morning. Right, right. So, so you got you just have to reapply quite right. frequently. And like yeah. I use it in the house and swept it up under the baseboards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That worked until the house flooded and then it got Wait, wet. No, that doesn't yeah. help. But yeah. diatomaceous earth, I mean it's it sounds like you're buying this bag of dirt. Mm-hmm. You're not. Yeah. It, it's a bag and it and it looks like just very fine looks white like powder. Talcum powder. Yeah. It does. It does. Yeah. Yes, Jim. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what it is is it's these microscopic diatoms, which is just a little ocean-going mm-hmm. shell is all it is. Uh, and they're so minute, they're so small, that they actually get into the cracks of the, <laughs> you know, yeah. let's say the armpit of a of an insect. Uh-huh. And, and it just, just kind of just cuts them up. Dries them just up. Just sucks their guts yeah. right out. Right. <laughs> yeah. It just dries <laughs> them up. <laughs> That's the case. Oh, yeah, we, when I, um, in Bryan College Station, got an older, like, a, a house from, like, 19, early 1900s, and it hadn't been lived in a, in a while, and, uh, but it had been cleaned and, you know, nice and all of that, but... Throughout the time that it was sitting, apparently some animals had gotten in. Oh, yeah. They didn't tear it up, you know, mess it up or anything, but they must have had fleas. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. But you know how fleas, it has to have a certain temperature and moisture level. They can be in your carpet for like years. But then when the temperature and all that's right, they'll they'll start hatching. So that happened. And what I did was took diatomaceous earth and did it all over the carpet and swept it in all the carpets. And let it sit for a day or two and yeah. vacuumed it up? Yeah, or? it worked great. But the thing is, after that, is I had to dust and dust oh, yeah. and dust <laughs> and dust <Yeah. laughs> and dust some more. So uh, going natural was wonderful, but sometimes it does take extra work. <laughs> but it is a it, it is a very, well, it's, it's completely safe, uh, but it, it is a, it's a really good insecticide. And you use it, like you said, as a dust. Mm-hmm. And like Jim and you Beta were just saying, it's perfectly fine as long as it stays dry. Mm-hmm. Uh, once it gets wet, uh, I guess they... What do they do? I guess they, if you look at it really closely, they kind of bond together, and it's just not as effective because it doesn't cover the entire surface of the leaf yeah. or whatever well, you're putting it on. Well, are they still sharp when they're underwater? Um, <laughs> no. They have a, their body is there. What, the body is gone and the exoskeleton is left. Oh. Um, that's what's sharp. Oh, yeah. You know? That's true. But That's you know, how that works. Because diatomaceous earth is alive. No, no, diatoms in the ground. I mean, in the water. In the water. Yeah, at some point. Yeah, yeah. It's like the basic bottom of the food chain, and then stuff eat it, and larger stuff eats that, and so forth. But um, if people, when they built a house, would dust the inside of the walls Mm -hmm. with diatomaceous earth, you'd never have any spiders or insects. Because as long as it stays dry, it's there. That's right. Wow. Uh, Jan, Jan uh, Farmer uh, Childers, she just texted in. She said the tomato registration today for the Great Tomato Contest is from 9 to 11. Okay. And then the judging is from 12 to 3. Okay. Um, so, guys, get your tomato. And then, you know, there are people right now that have that tomato sitting there <laughs> on that soft little bed of cotton, mm, you know, or, or tissue paper. Transported. In a box with, yeah. you know, with bubble wrap <laughs> around it. Don't even shake it, you know. Um <laughs> And remember the gentleman that, that won the thing last year? Well, I say won it. I mean, everybody's a winner, okay? But he won almost every category that he entered a tomato in. And remember the tomato, the big one last year was called Mortgage Lifter. Mm-hmm. And that's when I made the point. If that son of a gun does it again this year, I'm planning nothing but Mortgage Lifter. Well, Jim, I hope they have some lip-smacking good tomatoes for your sake. <laughs> we'll be cool. right back. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you can be with us here for our second hour. I'm Veda with Palladio. Yes, she is, and I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Center. And I'm Jim Crowder, and I uh, do the Facebook group, Mid-South Gardening, Gardening in USDA Zones. Six, seven, and eight. And that thing just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I, and I keep messing with Jim. Like, it's turning into a problem for me. Because every time I get on Facebook now, I, that's all I see. And I'm like, Jim is taking this thing over. Well, you know? and, and, it, and it takes a lot of time, too, because I try to read every response. And that's my point, Jim. The biggest yeah. thing gets, <laughs> the busier you are. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you do it, <laughs> honestly. 
Um, but I know, I know, I don't know. You I got don't. Lodged. Well, it's a good thing that you have that great recliner to be a recliner liner. That's true. So you can pass all your information on while you're chilling out and resting, and so the information is more accurate because you're chilled. But the beauty of it also is, I mean, when someone posts a question, which is really what it's all about, people are just trying to gain information. But they'll so a lot of times they'll post a what's the problem here. Uh, and you'll get these different comments uh, up under as answers. And it's awesome because most people have gone through or seen the problems that we're presenting at some yeah. point. Somebody's gone through it. Mm-hmm. They know the remedy, you know. Yeah. So, and it's amazing how many different remedies there can be for, for one thing. And some of them are coincidental that they worked. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. But it's, it, Jim, it's a great Facebook page. But. Also, Mid-South Gardening, the Mighty 990, is a great Facebook page also that you can shoot us a text. And I was talking about a while ago how people are wrapping their tomatoes and getting them ready to go take to the Great Tomato mm-hmm. Contest. And Jen Childers texted and she said, I've got a, she's got her tomato sitting on a piece of white bread <laughs> with pepper and mayonnaise. <laughs> well, bacon on so there, that was not going to make it, okay? But if you want to give us a call this morning, 901-260-5926, 901-260-5926. And like I just said, you can shoot us a text on the Monday 990 Facebook page, Mid-South Gardening. And I've had a lot of people come into the store, a lot of people saying that they love going back, uh, if they don't hear the show, listening to the podcast. And uh, that's what, kwamradio.com? Yep. 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 Listen <laughs> yep, to the yep, podcast yep, yep. anytime mm-hmm. you want. All right. There is a difference between crepe myrtle bark scale and mealybug destroyer. The, the way the insects look. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And people need to know it. Ah, almost similar. Very similar. Yeah. If it's moving, it's a mealybug destroyer. Bingo, Jim. That's exactly what I told the guy. He came into the store, and he's got crepe myrtles, and he's had crepe myrtle bark scale. I mean, really, who hasn't? But he's had crepe myrtle bark scale. And he used the drench, of course, to help combat that problem. The product that you mix with water, you pour it around the trunk of the crepe myrtle to kill the scale. <laughs> All of a sudden, these mealybug destroyers, which is a white insect, just like the scale, but this thing is fuzzy, but it runs up and down the trunk and the limbs of the crepe myrtle. Well, he thought those were scale. And he was going out there every day and just smushing them with his thumb. Aww. I mean, as many as he possibly could. <laughs> and he came into the store and he said, I cannot get rid of these things. Uh, and he showed me a picture. Yeah. Okay. And it was a fuzzy looking, uh, you know, white mealybug destroyer. And I said, hang on. Are these things moving on your crate, Myrtle? He went, yeah. yeah. I said, if it's moving, it's, this is a good bug. This yeah. bug you want. This fuzzy little thing is running up and down trying to eat the nymph stages of the crepe myrtle bark scale. And the guy kind of gave me a look like, are you kidding me? I've been out there for the last month mm-hmm. squishing these things every day, and I can't get a, you yeah. know, a handle on them. I'm like, leave them alone. Oh, you know, so. They're finally, they were becoming enough to do something about it. And then we, we get worried that it's something negative. We always think that any type of insect is a, a negative. Beta, I'm but, not saying you're wrong. You're right. Yeah, you know? But, you know, it's like there's a less percentage of the bad bugs than there are of the good bugs. It's just that when something gets off balance, then you see more bad bugs than you do the good bugs. But, and then, of course, if you're watching an insect run up and down your crepe myrtle. That is thinking, white. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, well, that's the description. You know, the crepe myrtle bark scale right. is white. And so... 
But that's really um, that's wonderful that he brought it in. He brought so a could, nice, beautiful yeah. picture in. And then when I asked him, like Jim just said, I said, "Is this thing moving?" He said, "Yes, yeah, running up and down the trunks and everything else." I said, "Scale crate myrtle bark scale. They do. They're mobile when they're young, but you don't yeah. even see them then. Yeah. Only time that we see them is once they become attached to that trunk and they form that little white shell, and they're completely immobile. They're not moving when we see them." And he really thought these things were crate myrtle mm-hmm. bark scales running up and down. And I said, no, 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 that's a good bug. In fact, it's helping you. And he was like, well, uh, sorry for the thousands I've already killed. <laughs> like the ladybug larva. Well, and it, that's technically what it is, a variety of ladybug. Mm-hmm. that, uh, And that's the larval form, the white that you see when it's moving really? up and down. I, yeah. God, I did not know. Yeah, yes. I mean, it looks... I was just thinking about the, the pretty larva of the ladybug that's black and orange. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cute. But so so the crepe myrtle bark scale destroyer... Is that, mealy, is actually, what they call mealybug destroyer. Yeah, it's really a... Um, a, a t- it's, it's a ladybug that has a black shell, mm-hmm. orange head. It's mm-hmm. kind of yeah. cute. Uh, but mm-hmm. the larva, it looks like a mealybug. And uh, then, you know, and wow. That's, that's what you see moving up and down. And I can surely see why people are, like you said, yeah. they, they see this insect and they're like, whoa, that's not good. Gosh, but, as much as I love insects and looking them up and, and seeing what they do, that one I totally miss. I'm still amazed that that's a ladybug larva. Yeah, you know, in, in Japan, the creek myrtle bark scale is kept under control by several different predators there. So it's never been an issue there. But when it got over here, it didn't have any predators initially, and it just exploded. And then over time, we began to see these uh, ladybug destroyers or mealybug destroyers move in. And I think they're native maybe to Australia. Mm-hmm. I, I need to go back and read about yeah. that, but I think that's true. But you're right. I mean, it's it's still out there, and I think we'll always have it, but it's not near the epidemic like it was when it first started, mm-hmm. you know, tearing us up as far as our crepe yeah. myrtles. In fact, it was so bad early on. Remember, a lot of people were cutting their crepe myrtles uh-huh. down. Up, oh, cut them down, you know, down to the ground, they're out of here. Yeah. Because they really <laughs> didn't want to have to deal with this new problem. Uh, and like I said, it's, it's still out there, and it's really easy to pour the drench around the crepe myrtles, honestly, to kill them. Uh, and one solution of drench is going to last at least a growing season, a year, maybe a lot of times even up to two years. But like Jim just said, there are more mealybug destroyers out there, which are good, beneficial insects that help us get rid of these uh, crepe myrtle bark scale. They're more out there now than there ever used to be. So just yeah. be aware and don't go out there and kill the good bugs that are trying to help us. And we have a crepe myrtle tree hanging over the uh, water garden at work. And next year, when I start seeing the buds come on those crepe myrtles, gonna cut the flowers I'm going to cut the flowers off because yeah. it's all in the water garden. It's I making know. me insane. That's the, one of the biggest mistakes people with with pools, mm-hmm. swimming pools do, is they'll plant a crepe myrtle out there because they think they're yeah. pretty, but they just l- flowers go everywhere. They do. My, they do. My in sister, the, she learned that the yeah the, the hard way. Yeah. The other day I was in the backyard and Christy, my daughter, has a, has a pool and I was standing there. And all of a sudden, this white stuff kept falling, and I looked around for wonder what. She's got four Natchez great myrtles on yeah. the front of her house, and these things were blowing over and getting in the oh. pool from the front yard. Oh man, that, yeah. that's frustrating. I, I'm standing there thinking, okay, what can I put over the pond? They don't have to leave it like that a long time. Um, I don't know. And then the great myrtles only like eight feet tall. 
And I'm thinking, uh huh. That's reachable. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Still need to. Th- I need to thin it some on the inside. Well, it's that's got easy. Too many cross branches. But yeah. but you still have that beautiful crepe myrtle tree formed look yeah. there. You just. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to have the bloom. Of course, now mm-hmm. most people are growing it for right. the bloom. But in your case, especially like Jim would say, if you got water nearby, and the uh, every one of the blooms are going to wind up mm-hmm. in the water. Uh, yeah, just cut them off there, Veda. I even had them move a couple of the water features because it's fallen down into the water features. Also, changing the coloration of the water or the seed heads <clears throat> get stuck in the, the pump. So we moved the water features away as well because you, it's just so irritating. But you can always, you know, change that. thing. You could put a limelight hydrangea. You know, they don't, mm-hmm. they're not messy with their blooms. Yeah. You could put a tree-formed ligustrum. Oh, you could even yeah. put a tree-formed hydrangea yeah, out there yeah. or a chase vitax yeah. yeah i mean most plants are just not going to have those blooms just flutter in the wind every time the mm-hmm. wind blows right i don't know okay let's go to a break let's go to a break you know my brain can delete a whole conversation while it's happening <laughs> we'll be right back <laughs> Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. And we were just talking about the fact that at the Garden Center, I have now, made me remind me, I have 11 varieties of plants that only have one shrub left. <laughs> you know, you order 10, you order 12, maybe you order six of one variety. Eventually you get down to one. Right, right. And so, But this time it seems like it's really unique to have this many different varieties, which then makes me think about the fact that Garden Centers do have some good stuff on sale now. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, you walk through the Garden Centers nowadays, I mean, you're going to mm-hmm. find trees and shrubs on sale, garden accessories on sale, benches yeah. on sale. I mean, mostly everything. Concrete yeah. on sale, glazed pottery on sale, right. all that stuff, yeah, you know? We're just like turning the inventory, letting you have some good deals. Yeah. Some things, maybe it's too hot to plant, but if you put a little fertilizer in the bucket and keep it watered and just, what, another month maybe? We're in the middle of July. I get when <laughs> You know, September, we all start wanting to plant again. Remember, or at the end of August, sometimes people want those mums at the end of August. Well, but I also brought up, you know, an hour ago, one of the questions was, can we plant shrubs this time of year? Mm-hmm. And the answer is not as simple as people no. think. No. And of course, mm-hmm. now the simple answer is, yes, we can plant shrubs this time of year. Well, it's, we spent, me and uh, Leslie spent a, a number of, uh, a good amount of time with this lady building her landscape and her ideas and all of that. And she goes... Okay, my husband's going to be up here and get it because we got to hurry and get this done. We're going out of town tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, isn't that great? Uh huh. But Leslie and I both stopped and <laughs> but went. But then they say, oh, no. But oh, then they say, th- no, no, we've got irrigation. Yes, and we're still mm. no. no, no, no. And, and that's what we mean. If you plant a, I don't care what it is, if you plant a shrub, anything that's got roots on it, or a tree, okay, <laughs> yeah. tree or shrub, uh, this time of year, you most definitely can. But there's, there's a couple things that you need to know. One is it needs to be planted right to start with. And that means, you know, typically speaking across the board, dig your hole just as deep as the root ball, twice as wide, right? Mm -hmm. And then you want to come in there and you want to add a few additives to your clay soil. And you're doing that really more for drainage. And like Jim says, you also are doing it to give those roots a good, easy Mm -hmm. pathway to expand. And you're putting the nutrients in the soil also when you're using the compost, the additives. Absolutely, Veda. So you dig your hole just as deep, twice as wide, and then you add some of the additives. And that can be cotton burr compost. It can be 
uh, garden soil. It can be manures. Absolutely. Uh, So you're not replacing your clay. You're just adding stuff to it to improve the drainage, okay? So you get your hole dug the right way. You get the soil worked. And then you take your shrub or your tree and you put it down in that hole and you put this good dirt back around it. I like to always have a little bit of that root ball sticking up out of the ground, okay? And then I come back with that same blend or mulch and just kind of heal it in, if you will. Uh, But all of that improves the drainage. Now, let's say you do all that just right. And like you said, Veda, and you've, you've got irrigation and you've gone to Florida for two weeks and you come back and your shrub is dead. You're wondering, why is my shrub dead or my tree dead? Because I know I planted it right to start with. And everything else is alive. Yeah, because they've been there. They've already got a good root system. Y'all, you can't rely on irrigation to irrigate the root system of a newly planted tree or shrub efficiently. For the first year. Yeah, thank you, Jim. The Mm -hmm. first summer is the most critical. Mm -hmm. You have to go out there, even if you have irrigation, and of course, unless you get a lot of rains, You've got to go out there with that hose and supplement that water because every now and then you've got to get that good, deep penetration of water. Yes, irrigation systems will irrigate the first maybe one or two inches of the soil. Perfect. Most bedding plants and established plants, that's good enough, but not on something that's newly planted. So in recap, yes, you can plant this time of year. If and People say, well, isn't it too stressful? Well, it's stressful for even plants that are established, you know, mm-hmm. but we as homeowners, you know, we can control our environment or when I say our environment, the water yeah. uh, in our landscape. So, yes, you can plant this time of year. That is the bottom line. Plant them right to start with. Make sure they get adequate moisture. Now, the flip side of all of this is you don't want to go out there and kill your trees and shrubs after they've just been planted with tender love and care. We see so many times where they are grossly overwatered. <laughs> get it? I get it. You're trying to do the right thing, but you're actually doing more harm than good. So, general rule of thumb: soak them when you water, but let them air out a little bit before you come back and soak them again. That doesn't mean you go out there, Jim, and soak these things every day. That's right, because yeah. you will rot the roots off, and when it, you do that, then it can't take in water. So it wilts, mm-hmm. even though it's sitting yeah. in water. And what would you do to a I wilted plant? I'd it in water more. Right. Bingo. Okay. So, and that's one of the reasons you want to get it up above soil line. Mm-hmm. That way it can always have air in the root system. Every plant has a tolerance about how long it will, the roots can be submerged basically in water. Mm-hmm. And some are zero. They can't tolerate it ever like dogwoods. Uh, and, and you and can kill them. Yeah, and you can kill them. Even planted in the fall, you can kill them, and they'll sprout with new growth in the spring. Right. You know, they've got carbohydrates stored in the root in the in the roots and stems, and it moves up, so everything looks hunky dory. And then when it starts to get hot in June, it collapses. Mm. Okay, and that's all because it may have gotten overwatered back in the wintertime. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Sometimes it takes longer than a year for things to get established where you can let it go survive along with your existing landscape I had a crepe myrtle that it took two seasons to actually get it to be where it could go without supplemental water through the summertime but it took two summers for that to happen mm-hmm. and you know usually you think well after one good flush of roots mm-hmm. i should be fine but it took a couple of summers and that can happen with a number of things too so 
a lot of times, even your second n- summer, you've got to add more root stimulator to a newly planted. Oh, yeah. Plant. And, you got, and the water is the key. But also, there are certain things that just won't tolerate excessive moisture. Um, you know, cherry trees. Jim mentioned dogwoods. Auto-looking laurels. Uh, I mean, think about it. I mean, most things around here don't like excessive moisture. They don't want their roots setting in water. In fact, there was a, a cul-de-sac that was called Cherry Hollow Cove mm-hmm. that was behind where I used to live. And they planted, when they developed this, they planted uh, one or two cherry trees in the front of every yard in that cul-de-sac. Every yard had cherry trees in it. A year later, you could probably go out there and find two cherry trees, okay, that were still alive. Because either they were getting grossly overwatered or not getting watered at all, like we're mm-hmm. talking about. So... I get it. It's you know, it's it sounds so simple uh, when it comes to watering, but it it's it's kind of complicated, right? You know. So we're talking about trees. What do y'all think about the weeping mulberry? I, I think it looks like a big green cousin. It it does. I it think does. it looks like a wannabe fig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it depends on how. Like I went to a house that has four of them planted. But they don't. They let them um, trail all the way to the ground. They don't like cut I've them up seen, like an umbrella. Yeah, I've <clears> seen <throat> people do that to the weeping marlboro, where marlboros, mulberries. Yeah, where it's cut in half almost. You know, where the, the weepers are just cut up real high. It it looks better or more natural when you let it flow all the way to the ground. Yeah, and I think they're. I mean, they're specimen type trees, yeah. uh, and I've seen them in the ground, and I've also seen them in containers, and I've seen them, like you said, Veda, coming all the way down to the ground, or also mm-hmm. where people cut them up where it looks like an umbrella. I'm yeah. telling you, in a in Just a pot. Don't do that. <laughs> but <laughs> well, like my mind sweeps through the landscape, and and it's like nice, nice, nice. Oh, that's kind of strange. Nice, nice, <laughs> nice. Well, that's really unique. Nice, but it is kind of strange. It, it seems like it breaks up my my thought of of processing through the landscape but it's different and it was nice and healthy so but i was just amazed at how many they had and they all looked good because i see a lot of them that don't even look right see her new word for strange jim is unique Mm -hmm. yeah you know that plant is unique yes very unique (laughs) strange and well let's see what is the red bud that i've seen weeping it's yellow Yellow foliage. It's like a sunshine something. something. Like yeah. That. yeah. And then there is a, a new uh, red leaf one that's a serious weeper like the, the uh, mulberry. Yeah. I had those this spring. They went quickly. They were unique because of the, um, the color of the foliage. I liked, oh, rising sun. <laughs> rising sun's a yellow one. Yeah. yeah the one that, that weeps. And those are interesting too. I think they're really cool just for the interest. You know, but they're still kind of strange. Are they grafted? How or are they natural? No, it was actually there was one found that had that natural color. Uh, and the guy went back and took cuttings off of it, rooted it, and then went back and killed the mother plant so that nobody else could get it. Yeah, go figure. Uh, but there are, there are places for weeping type plants. Mm-hmm. I mean, because like you said, Veda, they're, they're more unique. That's the word yeah. she used, looking. Uh, you know, even... Think about weeping privet when it was available. Yeah. You know, of course, forever and a day, everyone has gone through privet before. You know, we've all had privet at one time, whether you wanted it or not, right? But I remember seeing, uh, especially around some of these large commercial properties, where you would see these huge stands of weeping type privet. Uh-huh. Uh, it grows up and weeps back down. Uh, and I'm like you. I love a lot of these 
weeping type plants. I mean, but just because they they are more unique, yeah. honestly. Right, just something different. Nice little specimen. And then the other thing is anything that has twists or curls. Mm-hmm. Um, Jim has had Harry Lauder's walking sticks before. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's corkscrew willows. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, so all people like those kind of things because they're just not in the right. norm. Well, we have a nice size Harry Lauder walking stick in the courtyard at the garden center, and I have a number of people tell me it needs watering because the leaves are crinkly. Yeah. So, and they tell me, oh, your your plant out there needs some water, ma'am. And I'm like, which one? What? I just walked through. What are you talking about? No, don't tell me that. I'm so yeah. embarrassed. And then it's the tree. I'm like, yeah. oh, no. But it these Harry like Lawler's working stick, they look great when the leaves fall off in the fall. That's yeah. when you get to see all the twisting going on. I cut some of the limbs. I'm saving them. We'll be right back after all these messages. Morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid South Gardening. Glad y'all can join us this morning. You can call us 260-5926. You can post questions on our Facebook page. Yeah, the Mighty 990 Facebook page, uh, Mid South Gardening. And like Veda said, 901 260 5926. And I've had a lot of people come into the garden center and say how much they really do uh, like going back and listening to the podcast. And when I say going back and listening, for you know, a lot of times they don't hear us live in the mornings, mm-hmm. uh, but they do like to go and listen to the podcast. They, when this guy was telling me he was out raking the other day, and he said, man, I was listening to the podcast, and it kind of just got me in the mood. I'm yeah. like, well, anything we can do to help, right? No, So it is easier when you're with somebody or listening to things that are doing the same thing you're doing. It's just more motivated. I guess. Yeah. And also uh, remember the great tomato contest that's going on today uh, from um, the judging is from 12 to 3. Uh, the registration is from 9 to 11. And that's at the uh, at the Agri Center at the Red Barn, behind the Red Barn, really. Yeah. Uh, but, man, y'all, it is a lot of fun. And they have uh, a lot of things for the kids to do out there. They've got Ask a Master Gardener. If you have questions, yeah. uh, so really a good, fun event. Did you bring the sign to that says harass Jim Crowder? No, but we need to show up, Veda. Yeah. With signs. With signs. Yes. Harass Jim. So best overall tomato, you win $200? You win, yeah, a lot of money. Yeah, there's but, first is 100 second place is 50 third is 25 But who cares about that? You win the bragging rights. Yeah. Like yeah, you can look at your neighbor extra. and go, my tomato won right. it all. Yeah, a little extra motivation, though, never hurts anyone, no. especially when it's kind of hot. Okay, let's go to Greg calling from Atlanta. Good morning, Greg. You're in the Mid-South Garden. Hey, good morning. Hey, Greg. Uh, so um, I had a question. Um, I have been struggling this year to keep up with keeping my Bermuda grass cut. I feel like it's growing just so fast. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been reading online about using a plant growth regulator. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I purchased some and I, I put it down and, and it does seem to be flowing how quickly my Bermuda is growing. Right. But my question would be is I have some oak trees in the yard and I was wondering if, you know, their roots are extended into my lawn. Does What does a plant growth regulator do to a tree? In most cases, nothing because you're not applying it um, to the... Well... Okay, it's going to inhibit some root production, but you've got such a huge root system on the oak tree mm-hmm. that it's going to make insignificant impact on it. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. So, Jim, it's not even an mm-hmm. issue when you're out there spraying. What is that? What was that stuff called? Embark or uh, I, I can't remember. B nine, and there were several of those. But wh- when you spray those, it actually stops the 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 production of the apical cells, so in or slows it down. So it's really not. It's not going to affect your tree, hardly any at all. In, in fact, Greg, I remember years ago, uh, I knew a gentleman that worked on a very large commercial lot. And, of course, they had a lot of grass, like you're talking about, and they had a lot of woody plants. And there was two different hormones. There was one hormone they used on their grass, and there was another hormone they used on more of their shrubs. Yeah, atromic was the one on the shrubs. Go, yeah. yeah, and so, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the one that you're using on your grass, like Jim's saying, is going to have really basically no effect on those trees out there. But let's get back to the real problem here, the fact that your grass is growing mm-hmm. too fast. That's and that's because it's being fertilized too much. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. First thing you want to do is not use anything like a triple 13 or 612-12, anything that's high in ammoniacal nitrogen. That's all quick release, makes it grow too fast. Ideally, Bermuda should be mowed every fourth day. That's if it's healthy and growing. Golf courses mow it every day. Okay. But, but if you're on a once-a-week schedule, you're going to end up cutting off more grass. So you want to back off on your fertilizer. Whatever the rate is on the bag, if it's if you buy a bag of turf builder and it says covers 3,000 square feet, push it out to five or 6,000 square feet mm-hmm. so that you don't force all that additional grass. Now, the nice thing about Bermuda is that if you cut it and it's easily mulched, it starts decomposing almost immediately. Mm. So it's not going to give you any grief as far as buildup in your... The in patch, your, you mean? Yeah. Your, yeah, but whereas zoysia can, you know, in fact, I tell people that zoysia should be bagged all the time because mm. uh, it has so much silica in it that it just doesn't want to decompose. And see, I'm like Greg, though, um, you know, putting fertilizers down and with all the moisture, Greg, that we've had around here... Man, the lawns are growing, like you said, they need to be cut every three or four days. And just, you know, to me, that's not practical. I can't do it that often. Um, so I had, I see no problem using a growth regulator, but I also agree with what Jim's saying. Let's, let's don't be the one, the homeowner, that's making our grass grow faster than it should be. Mm-hmm. So do you have a yard service or do you fertilize yourself? So I, I have a yard service, okay. um, and uh, I made the mistake of thinking adding just an extra little bit of fertilizer would be <laughs> make my grass do. grow a little bit better. But instead, I'm cutting every three days. <laughs> yeah, and, and, it, and it actually does. I mean, it may it gets you the results that you want. It's just you don't want to have to mow that much. Yeah. So exactly, yeah, they're giving you a, they're doing a, a good slow release fertilizer with micronutrients that should feed for about sixty days or so. And that's plenty of fertilizer for Bermuda grass. So uh, I wouldn't supplement it at all. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. Right. Hey, thanks, thanks for listening thanks this morning. For the thanks, call. Greg. Yeah, that was like when I uh, got my new house and everybody on the street, their houses were new. And so I was going to make sure my yard was going to be the best in the yard, but I had to do it all natural. But uh, as it balanced out, I was mowing less and watering less than everyone else because I was using slower release fertilizer and building the soil. And so I only had to water once a week, except for about two times, three times I had to water twice a week. And your grass wasn't just growing crazy like Greg's. And I was mowing once a week also because it was just doing its slow thing. It was staying green and flush and all, 
but yeah, if I had added some extra, and that's so so cute. He was like, yeah, let me add a little extra and get that extra green. And you wouldn't think <laughs> see, that I'm would like make Greg. you have to. I'm, yeah, you wouldn't think that it'd make you have to mow more. Yeah, and you know, used to, you know, people would have they have a a, a yard, you know, that's like three thousand square feet in the front yard, and they go out there and they put a bag of six twelve twelve on it. Well, then they think. I need to make it grow a little faster. So they take 50 pounds of ammonia nitrate yeah. and put it over the same amount of area yeah. when it should do a half an acre. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And well, you, you can cut your way back to the house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's Man. like urea, Jim. I mean, you, you know, it's hard to get ammonium nitrate these days. Right. But you can still buy urea, which is like a 44, 46, zero, zero. It is pure nitrogen. You put that bag down, one bag of urea will cover 10,000 mm-hmm. square feet, yeah. a quarter of an acre. And they're putting this stuff down on, you know, five and 6,000 square feet. And it is pure nitrogen, especially if you're getting rains on top of that. You would almost have to cut your grass every other day. Yeah. <laughs> and, right. and I'm like, Greg, I love a beautiful green lawn. And I want it to look, you know, good. Yeah. And applying these nitrates would definitely do that. But the sidebar mm-hmm. is you, you better get ready to start cutting Are the grass. Are you get stuck in that? That when you're using the really high nitrogen fertilizers, when you mow, it's the brown is there. Yeah, you get you the sun, the- it's Sunday morning browning is what I call Sunday it. You know, uh, <laughs> and, and what's happening is you're cutting off so much blade that now the plant has to pull carbohydrates mm. from its root system to replace that tissue you cut off. Uh, that weakens your grass. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it sets you up for issues during the winter. It makes yeah. it less hardy. Yeah. You're more likely to have fungal problems. So you, you don't want to cut and, more than one-third of that well, blade then, at any given time. And thing. then you fertilize again because it's brown. That's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. So you got you got yourself stuck, mm-hmm. and then you're watering and mowing. Like, like, it's just a like wonderful, said, vicious like, this cycle. It's not yeah. fun anymore. So just... Slow your And we're roll. all making a good living off of what you're doing. Right. So thank you very much. I know. That's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> we're just selling the fertilizer. Well, you know how me and Vader are going to go to the uh, Great Tomato Contest with signs, and we're going to harass Jim and Jan texting. She said, don't harass Jim. He'll have a stockpile of tomatoes he can throw back at you. Ooh, <laughs> That's boy, right. didn't even think of that. So, me you either. know, I have a sign on the wall that says, uh, an apple a day will keep anybody away if you throw it hard <laughs> enough. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that makes me think of the green apple fights I had with my cousins. You're right, Jim. You throw it hard enough, that'll keep it away. Keep anybody right? away. Yes. Um, okay, y'all, we'll be right back. Give us a call, 260-5926. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all can be with us today. So, um, here's call? one. Yeah, give us a call. 901 260 So, uh, let's see. I'm, you know how we use aloe vera yeah. for uh, sunburns? Well, I'm seeing some recommendations. Mix uh, lavender with it. Al- lavender oil with the aloe vera. And then soak in tea. Like what? black tea, yeah, soaking tea, and that takes rid of the burn. And I tell you what, I've never, I have never been sunburned just because I'm in the sun constantly, I guess. But I've seen some people so red that if I was them, I would definitely sit in a tub of black tea. I'd try anything yeah, to make I that go away. More and more people uh, understand now, unlike they. What happened? There you are. Okay. More and more people uh, understand now that laying in the sun with you know, with 
cooking oil yeah, baby is, is oil. just not a smart thing to do like it was, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Well, so. we thought it was smart, didn't we? Yeah. And the baby oil. And, yeah. and Oil's going to lose his hair really young. Yeah, I mean, it. <laughs> Right you know, I, I've been so sunburned before that it would it, it would just shock you that I'm still here. Oh, oh yeah, man. same too. Oh. I, I mean, I've had you know these huge blisters on my back and oh yeah, same here. Growing up and yeah, and, Ooh, I did not know that was a thing. Oh my gosh, I've been. I got to tell you this one quick story here. And Jamie, hang on just a second. Yeah, hang on. So I'm down at the coast. Okay, we've been down there. It's been raining the whole time. Okay. So the next morning, I said, I'm going fishing. I don't care if it's raining or not. It was storming. <laughs> I was the only guy on the pier, mm-hmm. okay? I'm out there, and there's lightning, you know? And, and everybody else to drive by. I right. this crazy guy. So I, I hook up a, a little cigar, man, and throw it over the side. And it no, just barely hit the water, and something hit it like a tank. And I thought, this is great. I am the uh-huh. only guy on the pier, and there are fish here, yes. uh-huh. okay? Yes. Okay. I was so sunburned, though, that I could hardly walk. It took me like 20 minutes to get to the end of the pier. Okay. I look like a lobster, I tell you. Okay, so I bait up again, set the rod down, and then go to get take my little rod to, to try to catch a little bait fish. Mm-hmm. Well, all of a sudden, the wind caught my rod, and it goes sailing out <laughs> over the ocean. <laughs> so now I have an ultralight. I'm the only guy on the pier, and... I can't catch anything. <laughs> and you're sunburned. And then I got to walk 20 minutes back to the end of the pier. <laughs> and I don't think he's been back since. Yeah. You're like, why did I want to go fishing I have, so Why bad? do I want to go on vacation even, you know? Yeah, right after all that. I love it. So you can entertain us. All right, so let's see. What's Jamie doing out there? Good morning, Jamie. You're in the Mid-South Garden. It's not Jamie. It's Debbie Christ Evans, the tomato girl. Good hey. morning. Hey, Debbie. Good morning to you, my dear. Uh, Debbie, this is the same Debbie that we had in the studio last weekend. Yes. It is, and I got COVID right along with the other five people in that room last year. Oh, yeah, last yes. year. Last right. year, I yeah. Like, I know you just made me nervous. I was not okay, here. Okay, we're good. Heavens. We're good. But All Debbie, right. tell, us, tell us what we need to know, my dear. Well, we are getting everything set up, and people that have those wonderful tomatoes growing in their garden or in their backyards can bring those tomatoes out. Mm -hmm. We have several different categories. We have cherry, slicing, heirloom. We're looking for a really heavy tomato. Mm -hmm. Just come out here to the Big Red Barn. You'll see the big sign that says Annual Tomato Contest. Mm -hmm. You enter it. You can walk around, talk to our Ask a Master Gardener table, look at our education displays Mm -hmm. about growing tomatoes, and just have a good old time out here with us. That sounds like, I mean, a lot of fun. Now, let me ask you this. When people bring their tomatoes, especially, well, let's say the cherry tomatoes, you definitely want to bring eight or ten cherry tomatoes, correct? Exactly, because it's really hard to slice that one cherry (laughs) tomato for all five tomatoes. I agree. And then on the regular tomato, let's say my slicing tomato, do I still want to bring two of them instead of just one? If you have two, that's fine. But with those larger tomatoes, we can work with one. And I have to tell you, over at the Bartlett Senior Center, they have some community gardens, and I brought some tomatoes from over there. And one of the 92-year-old guys thought that presentation was important, too. So he has his in a basket with leaves and flowers. Uh, it's like so cute. I hope he wins. Me yeah, and you yeah. both. It's that marketing, that packaging, isn't it? I uh, love it. <laughs> well, Debbie, this is great. Uh, hopefully we'll all see you at some point this morning. And I know now the judging, the uh, judging will start about, what, 12 o'clock? Uh, between 11 and 12. Between 11 start and judging. And we've got you. a great group. We've got... Uh, 
uh, Walter Battle and Jim Crowder, who might have yep. a little help today, and the tomato lady that's up the county up from us, uh, yeah. Ms. and um, Valerie Smith, and, of mm-hmm. course, Judge McCullough. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you got real judges on there to judge tomatoes. I love it. We do. I feel like I have to behave because Judge McCullough's here. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> well, Debbie, we love y'all to death. Uh, we love everything that the Master Gardener program does. And this is just one of the fun, fun events, just one of them. So everybody needs to show up at the Red Barn today, uh, and you can go anytime. And this thing is not over until about 3 o'clock this afternoon. That's correct. I forgot to add, we have some really great activities for kids. We have a tomato craft because, you know, the tomato is the state fruit of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And they can also plant their own tomato seed to take home with them. Love it. All right. Well, hopefully we'll see you there, Miss Debbie. And thank you for the call and kind of giving us. Uh-huh. Um, thank you so much. Yes, ma'am. Take care. Uh-huh. Give us the uh, pep rally talk, mm-hmm. which I love. Man. You know, BLT. Yeah, I'll be out there by by ten at latest. Yeah, after I leave here, I got to run by the house for a second, but then I'm headed out there. And and I've gotten to Mount now. Where I, did that sound right? I've gotten now to where I will eat a tomato salad. I mean, I'll go mm-hmm. home and chop up a tomato, and Gina will get half, my wife, and I'll get the other half. Put it in a bowl, sprinkle some sunflower seed on top, a few black olives, um, some croutons, and salt, pepper, and then her homemade uh, oil vinegar yeah. mix. And I'm talking about it's just nothing but glory. It's nothing but potato, uh, tomatoes in there. And that's how much I love them, I'm telling that you. sounds good. BLT sounds good right now, too. So some of the trending gardens now are, called, are culinary garden, goth, goth garden, culinary garden, goth garden, uh, kids garden, <clears throat> and uh, storybook gardening. You, you, you've you lost Yeah, me. these are some of the new trending gardens. Now, the culinary garden, I can see. Yeah. To me, that would remind me of a herb garden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, rosemary yeah. and marjoram thyme, all that in there. But then the gothic garden. The goth- is that where you're you planting can- the black petunias? Yeah, or yeah. bat-faced cubia? Yeah. <laughs> bat-faced cubia? <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. That see, goes, red goes it. good with black, too. And the red, the bat-faced cubia has some purple in it. So that's good. Um yeah, and then God's a story. You said a, a kids' storybook garden. Yeah, and I'm trying. I have maybe that's Jack and the Beanstalk. <laughs> so you plan a beanstalk, plan a wisteria um, storybook garden. You could have an Alice in the Wonderland section. I love it. You can <laughs> call you know, them anything. Can, well, hey, the the lady's going to plant the green beans, and what'd she say? A couple weeks yeah. for the second crop. Make a teepee out of bamboo stakes and plant some green beans at the base of that. Oh, that's Let it one of, grow up. That's and then of, you have a teepee. One of the best ways to do it. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people, you know, they'll have a post and a post and have a wire between the two posts, and they'll mm-hmm. lean up bam, bamboo on either side of it. But I've also seen where you're talking about, Veda, they'll get bamboo, long eight-foot sections of bamboo, and kind of do it like a teepee tied yeah. at the top and just plant around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's a great way to grow these and running it's beans fun. it's fun if you've got if you're a kid to play in those areas we could play out in the woods and get down in the thickets of the woods and clean out the inside and have you know your secret hideout so uh you know build things for kids to play with in the garden um culinary garden we knew that that one's easy you know or the edible garden same as culinary re- really Ooh, the figs you can definitely put figs and blueberries. And what about yeah, figs you, you, this year? You know, They're delicious. Well, well I know. You, you were talking to us a little while ago, though, about can you plant right now? Yeah. Well, late last night, I got a an email. 
there's a particular citrus that's hardy. It goes down to about zero degrees, and it finally became available. So they sent me a note because I had clicked mm-hmm. on it, let me know when it's available. Well, I got it last night, and then as I'm looking through there, they've got little Miss Figgy, and I want one. So uh, I got two of them coming. So I am going to oh. plant. You are, <laughs> yes, right, I am. Right. But little Miss Figgy is a dwarf fig. But my yeah. thing is, you know, with this past winter that we had, a lot of the fig trees were killed down to the ground. And they're coming back from the roots. So are, are we still going to get any fig production at you all? You kill it off something like brown turkey. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You should should get a decent crop off of them. And there's a lot of fig trees out there now. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of different mm-hmm. varieties. You know, the Celeste and yeah. LSU Gold, LSU there's Purple, a Little com- Miss Figgy. company called um, One Green World that's out in Oregon. In fact, that's who I bought these from. And they have about 60 varieties of figs. That's mind-blowing. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Is there any do's and don'ts around here as far as figs? I mean, because to me, they're the easiest fruit tree you can grow. Well, yeah. you know, they are. This is about as far north as ninety percent of them grow. So gotcha. you want to make sure that you pick one that's fairly hardy. There are some that will go a little further north, like Chicago Hardy, and some of those. But uh, make sure that you get one that's you know, preferably a zone six hardy. Uh, plant them in full sun. Mm-hmm. They like water, so make sure you can give them lots of water. I agree with that. Um, and you'll need to. You, you can learn whether or not they're produced best on first or second year wood, and so that tells you whether or not you should be pruned. Mm-hmm. So we'll get into that when we come back from the break. Well, when you come to the garden center, don't pick the figs; they're mine. <laughs> The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to the third hour of Mid-South Gardening. Glad we can join you today. We are awake. We are live. We are here. We've been here since 6 a.m. Yeah, and if you want to give us a call real quick, and I know we got David from North Memphis and uh, Paul from Bartlett on the phones. Uh, if you want to give us a call, 901-260-5926, 901-260-5926. And, of course, you can always shoot us a text on the Mighty 990 Facebook page, Mid-South Gardening. And let me just say this real quick. Mary Tyndale, she texted in. She said, if you add thin slices of cucumber and onion to make a BOT, y'all, it makes it completely supreme. So we didn't mention mm. the cucumbers and the onions, no. which I've never had it with no, those. me either. Maybe just the a, BLT is Bacon, lettuce, and tomato. Maybe we're missing something <laughs> here, though. B-L-T-C-O. That's right. <laughs> B-L-T-C-O. You got it. I might have to just try it anyway, just because. Um, and if you're looking out in your garden this morning and you go, man, my tomatoes are looking good. Pull one off the vine and head up to the Agri Center and enter right, it yep. in the big tomato contest. You'll enjoy it. Our own very own Jim Crowder will be up there, mm-hmm. and um, there'll be a lot of people there with good information. And also, the one thing that's great about gardeners is everybody is friendly. Oh, God. They get along. Um, the only competition is is between how big or better the tomatoes are. <laughs> but gardeners are great, and you can learn all kinds of things being up there. But let's go to David calling from North Mississippi. Good morning, David. No, North Memphis. Good morning. You're in the garden. I was about to say, wait a minute. <laughs> when did I move? <laughs> when did you move, David? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm I'm fine in North Memphis. I'm good. How y'all doing? We're doing great, but it's good to hear your voice again, Dave, and I hope you've been doing well. 
Oh, thank you. I have I, I've, I've been doing okay. I, mm. I just got to remember uh, to eat right, but mm. that's kind of hard to do in Memphis, I guess. I but know that's is. right. I agree. With All that, that barbecue out there, it is hard <laughs> to eat right. What's going you know on what uh, with with fences and weeds? Okay. Um, first of all, let me say this: I'm always amazed, and I shouldn't be. <laughs> at what rain does to the growth of grass no right doubt. after you cut the yard. Yep. I'm just like, yep. really? Yep. But anyway. <laughs> That's, it is nitrogen rich. And I'm with David. Yeah. I like, the, I love the way a lawn looks as soon as I, as I get through, you know, as soon as I'm done cutting it, yep. I love that beautiful manicured look, David. Two days later after rain is like, golly, man, I need to get out there and cut this thing again because it just doesn't look as neat, you know? Nope. Maybe nope. I need to get nope. over it. I'm trying my mm. best. I, you and I have that same issue. That's just the way I am as well. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm thinking I got a fence that I cut now with my one of my neighbors um, who has an investment property, which I enjoy doing it, except for the fence, which I'm using up, as you can imagine, a lot of lime, weedy lime. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering, is the vinegar now i tried my my regular recipe of vinegar right. I, it just kind of laughed at that right um, that's right yeah um is the the vinegar uh that i can get from from home deep or even if you sell it um one of you guys sell it will that do a, a better job of killing yeah. um the grass on the fence yeah yes. it absolutely does yeah. a better job it's much yeah. stronger yeah i mean what okay. we have is in fact you probably have the same thing is mm-hmm. actually a 30 percent vinegar and 30 percent right. is way more david than what you'll find of course in the uh, average grocery store owl yeah and then you want to be careful handling it because it can actually burn your skin it's very okay, so very acidic have, have not not just plastic gloves but wear gloves on you you're thinking right well no i would use you know some sort of rubber gloves or something like that you don't want okay. anything that's fabric that might absorb it okay Good, good, good. I'm glad you mentioned that because I would not have thought of even doing that. Um, there's there's two products, David, this year. I mean, there's the you know the stronger vinegar uh, that you use undiluted, and you just put it in a pump up sprayer and just walk down you know the, the your whole fence row. And then there's a sea salt times ten. Uh, and I had a uh, a guy, a friend of mine, came in and bought some, and I said, look, you need to let me know how what you think about this product. He actually sent me a picture of a square that he uh, sprayed in his yard, and I mean, it was toast. Yeah. So whether you're using ten, what they call ten times sea salt, or whether you're using that stronger vinegar, David, that's definitely a way that you'll save on weed eater string. Hmm. Okay. Good deal. And, and you got you have both of them there, is that right? Yeah. Yes, sir. Okay. Good. Um, second question. Um, I won't go into the the lower details of why my neighbor had a problem in just providing good construction bags to pick up her leaves for free, but I digress. <laughs> so what I did for her is that I, I blew the leaves in a, in a spot that um, was an old garage that, that, that only has three quarters surrounded it. You know, it's not even a garage anymore. And where the garage used to be old school too. It's, it's like, um, it was built by my, my grandfather, actually, mm. on the ground up nice. as a garage. Nice. So now I blew the, the leaves there. So I'm wondering, is there any damage that, that can be done to that ground? Is that okay? Is it just going to be like a compost? If it is, I just do it every year for her if it's not going to cause an issue. 
I wouldn't think it would. Mm-mm. I can't think of a yeah. reason. Is, yeah. is there this partial garage? Does it have a roof? No, no, no. Okay. There's, you know, the ground from the, you know, the, the bricks that were there from the, the ground up. Gotcha. Okay. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I don't okay. see a problem with it. Now, you, you know, if it's really deep and you want them to decompose, or you, you might want to, you know, take a, a silage fork to it and turn it over every now and then. Uh, maybe even throw a little fertilizer on it to speed up the decomposition. But no. Well, the, the whole point was that she was supposed to get somebody who, didn't have a problem. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and of course, she's thinking, well, why do I have to pay? I can just leave them out there. Uh-huh. Which, look, I love my neighbor, but that was really, that yeah. really sucks. Yeah. But anyway, that's okay. <laughs> she's a good neighbor otherwise. So that's that's fine. Because um, I'm going to do it again this year, this season as well, right? Yeah, so that, I'm put these up. yeah. that or Go Dave, ahead. like I told you before, hopefully you'll move and, and, and move right beside where I live. You know, I've always wanted you as a neighbor because you've always been out there cutting people's yards, blowing their weeds, uh, blowing their uh, leaves. I I need a neighbor like you, Mister David. Well, what I tell people when they when they see my my my, my yard, you know, and they ask, "Do I do it for a living?" I said, "I will cut your yard if you can move it over beside my yard." So, Ken, <laughs> if you can get your yard over here, be I careful, love Kenneth to may it. just do that. Yeah. Oh, David. <laughs> And he'll bring a tree with him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, guys, enjoy y'all as usual. Appreciate all the good information you helped me out with. So Thank y'all you, have David. a good day and be safe out there. Thank you, Dave. Thank, Thank you, buddy. David. Thanks yeah. for the And there are some oh. chemical options, too, that, you know, there's a product called Primatol that you can spray like a, a three-inch path right down that fence, mm-hmm. and nothing's going to grow there for a year. Mystery. Okay, so it's a longer term. I'm not sold on the salt deal yet. Um, I mean, if it's plied right up underneath a fence where you're not going to impact any shrubs, Mm -hmm. but I would be a little concerned about what it would do in our clay as far as staying there. Yeah. And I can do some research on it, Jim. Yeah. You know, might even, you know, come by and get some of it and try it and see what it does Mm -hmm. if it accidentally washes into... Uh, planted areas and, and that sort of thing. And, so. and I know we got Mr. Paul, and you got to hang on for just one second, Paul. But uh, also, Jim, I mean, even if he sprayed Roundup down the fence row, the Roundup's going to kill anything and everything that's growing right there, but they can come right back that's as far right. from seed, where if you use something like Primatol, like you're talking about, total vegetation killer, it's going to sterilize that soil for up to a year. Yeah, and, so and you're not gonna have even Bermuda grass doesn't root into it well. It'll jump it sometimes if it's a narrow <laughs> place. But uh, it it will it'll clean that out. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw a guy. Um, he used Roundup on the fence line constantly, yeah. like over applied. Yeah. is what was happening, and so it was just bare ground yeah. all under the the fence line. But only because he over applied. If he had just used it casually, I don't think it would have decimated the earth. Well, I think I've got bare ground at the bottom of my fence line, too, from the weed eater, Veda. Yeah, yeah. that can happen, definitely. All right, we're going to go to break, and Paul, uh, hang on for a minute. After we come back, we will talk to you, see what's on your garden. Uh, You're listening to KWAM. And welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Let's go to Paul from Bartlett. Good morning. You're in the Mid-South Garden. Hello, Paul. Give Paul a second. 
You one. Wake up, Paul. Is that Mr. <laughs> Paul? Good morning. Hey, there's Mr. <laughs> Paul. <laughs> All right, you caught me dozing off. <laughs> That's why we thought we'd call your name a few times. Mr. Shake you around. Mr. Paul, let me just say this real quick. It is always good to hear your voice, buddy. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. It's always good to hear y'all on the radio. Now, what's going on with uh, turkey vines and you this morning? Well, I first wanted to say hello to all the folks out at the tomato contest. And I'm sure they're having a good time out there. They're getting started to have a good time. You know they uh, are. Now, turkey vine is a term that people, I was out there a while ago when I first called y'all, digging up sods of green turkey vine. Tore down the greenhouse several years ago, and it's just been sitting there. It's just, uh, it's just part of the woods now. And I didn't realize it till somebody got back there and weeded it the other day. And I've got a, a pretty good-sized patch of green turkey vine growing on the ground, which, I mean, it was probably in the greenhouse before it was tore down. Mm. But it was weird because I used to sell, we used to sell mm. tons yeah. Of green turkey vine. Right. <laughs> now, see, turkey vine reminds me of, is that, it's not the same as Creeping Jenny. Yeah, it is. Or Creeping yeah, Charlie. Yeah, it, it is the same it, thing. Okay. Yes, it is. Yeah. and new malaria. Yeah. That, thank you. That's one of the first Latin words I knew, and I still <laughs> yes. can't say it right. <laughs> <laughs> but it is but, a beautiful uh, ground cover, though. It is. But what happened, Mr. George Van Hooser, one of my mentors, my mentor's daddy is the one that gave me this, in which this was a hundred years ago, I think, but it was the first. But uh, Albert Faraki and me used to supply a stringer on Poplar mm-hmm. with turkey vine because, I mean, Mr. Herman and Mr. Sam would buy tons of it because it was a great ground cover. And of course, it was cheap and it grew real fast. And then when the gold, Right, creeping Jenny came out, which is more yellow. Aurea, yeah, yeah. Which uh, when the aria came out, nobody would ever. I never got another call for green turkey, so I quit growing it. Of course, you know, I just and I didn't even think I had any at the nursery. Mm. But that was weird. The other day, I was out there walking around, and I found this patch. <laughs> and yeah. it's got a few weeds and stuff in it. But I was out there a while ago with a shovel, just scooping it up in sods. And I'm going to try to get several flats of it potted up or flatted up just so I've got some green turkey vine in case anybody ever wants any. But it's a great plant, but it's just not near as dramatic mm-hmm. as as the uh, as the golden. The, is the yellow? The I know. I didn't even but know the, there was a green. <laughs> yeah, well, it's beautiful. I, when I first got the gold, the first flat I took to Plato, and he wasn't there, and Miss Sarah come out there and she looked at it and she said, "Well, it looks sick." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I said, she said that just don't look right. I ain't going by that course. I mean, she would look. Plato would ask me what I brought and. <laughs> He'd write me a check for it, you know, or I'd send him a bill. But Miss Sarah had to go out and look at everything on the truck and see if she wanted to buy it or not. Yeah, but see, but, also, uh, also, Paul, to me, that's almost kind of like a walk down memory lane for you. 
You know, well, it because, is, and I love it. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. no doubt. Because you know, you've grown and sold all of this stuff, whether it's sedums well, and whether it's the turkey vine. But here you are out there. The greenhouse is even <laughs> gone now, and this yeah. turkey vine is there. And Paul is scooping some up. And you know what? He, you hear what he just said? Yeah. He's trying to flat some up, so he's back in mm-hmm. business again. Out there hobbling around trying to keep up with my little dog <laughs> and had an old dull shovel. I couldn't find the sharpshooter, so I was just using the big shovel trying to scoop some. But I got one flat up before I had to get back in my uh, sitting down. Well, that's great, Mr. Paul. Well, and hopefully, hey, any of this remnant stuff that you run across, uh, call me, Mr. Paul. I'll come out there and help you get it up. Now, I'm going to take half the proceeds also. That's fine. Go right ahead. You're welcome to it. Come on anytime. <laughs> I love it. Well, next year, Mr. Paul, uh, there again, I know you've got at least one greenhouse still standing, and that's what I said this last year. We need to get a few tomatoes out there, get those things in that perfect growing condition, and next year you and I will enter our tomatoes in the Great Tomato Contest. <laughs> I don't. I don't have one tomato on the place. I meant to go down to the Bartlett Market this morning and get some more tomatoes, but I hadn't been down there yet. He does it the easy way. I mm-hmm. don't blame him. Right. Well, Mr. Paul, we love you, buddy. Love you guys, and y'all are doing a great job. And if if anybody needs to go out there to that tomato contest today, they need to go on. That's the best show in town. Yeah. All right, Mr. <laughs> Paul. Thank you. Thank Jamie and Jan do a great job in all of the master gardeners out there. They sure they do. They do. And thank you, Mr. Paul, thank for you. keeping up with thank everybody. Thank you, guys. All righty. So, um, you know, um, I love it. as growers, and lately you're seeing, like, we'll, you'll buy some pots of flowers, and sometimes in your four-inch <clears throat> pots or your six-inch pots, you'll see a little square sachet. Those are actually beneficial insects no, no. that the growers use. Yeah, have you seen like the little bitty, bitty square sachets that's their beneficial insects and they're hanging them throughout the greenhouses and then sometimes they fall off and into a flower pot or a flower that you get. But uh, a lot of greenhouse growers, you know, a lot of people are going more with the beneficial insects. (coughs) Um, They're leading more toward that than using the natural fertilizer or natural insecticides. Well, a lot of people also are not out there nuking their whole yard. We've talked Mm -hmm. about this before. When they have one bug on one plant, that's no excuse to go out there and spray every plant that you have in your landscape. Uh, Because, unfortunately, yes, I get Mm -hmm. when I need to spray, I'm going to spray if I have a problem. But, you you know, Overall, you still want to try to spray in the morning or late yeah. in the afternoon. You don't want to spray when everything's active. But any, a lot of times when you're spraying things out there, mm-hmm. you're also killing the beneficials. Right. Yeah, because, you know, we need wasps to fertilize figs. I'm killing wasps. Yeah, but you need wasps to fertilize figs. Now, it's not the wasp not that we one. see. Okay. Yeah, it's not the wasp that we see, you know, coming toward us all the time. <laughs> Uh, the wasp nests that are up in the the ceilings and all. It's a different variety of wasp. But to get most of most of your figs pollinated, is it you're saying some of them well, don't have that Brown turkey is self-pollinated. Yeah. It, it, there, there's not a wasp buried inside there like there are in mm-hmm. some varieties. Yeah. And I don't mind wasp around the house either, but I'm like, you know, I don't want them right there above the doorway. And I told you before, I, you know, I used a door in my back, the back of the house that I hadn't used forever a couple of years ago. And I'm telling you, right above my head was a wasp nest, yeah. the big as a saucer. 
probably 8,000 red wasps on that thing. Everyone I'm looking at mm-hmm. me, I'm thinking, ooh, <laughs> no, this is not good. Yeah. Now, if they'd been further up on the, you know, the top store, I, I could have cared less. Right. I just didn't want them right there. That's all. Yeah, that's the whole thing. I mean, because, like, wasps, like I said, I've had, I've taken picture of wasps on my hands. Uh, they sit on my shoulder, but... I'm not attacking them, you know. So what I'm trying to say is I'm not saying that you need to put your hand out and try to wait for the wasp to land on it, but just don't invade their space. <laughs> don't, yeah, don't swat. Don't scream. Don't run. You're, you're threatening them that way. So just don't panic so hard. Well, also, Veda, don't panic if you got weeds in your yard. Oh, yeah, don't panic. You know, I be- won't panic. No, because if you're in Arlington, places like that, Atoka, Bartlett, Collierville, Germantown, of course, Lakeland, Millington, Mumford, Oakland, and Somerville, of course, that kind of covers it all. Uh, and what kind of lawn or insect problems are you having? Well, fire ants, same thing. Weeds, ones I just mentioned, brown spots and bare spots. Our Let Me Kill Your Weeds guys at Herbie Systems can solve all of those problems. Uh, they've been making Mid-South landscapes beautiful for over 39 years. Well, they're locally owned, and they have a team that maintains over 11,000 customers' properties. And they also can maintain your trees and shrubs. So not only are they doing the lawns, they're doing the trees and the shrubs also. And maintaining your lawn care can be a complicated process. Whether you're dealing with insects or you need to aerate your lawn, Herbie Systems has your bag. So can, let me just say this. In a nutshell, if you're having a problem in your lawn, Herbie Systems will be there to take care of that problem. And like I said, they care, They do this in the whole surrounding area. It's not just right mm-hmm. here in Memphis that they take care of lawns. Yeah, so let me kill your weeds has never sounded so good. For a free quote this week, tell them you heard about Herbie Systems on the Garden Show or just say KWAM, 390-9898. I want to tell you a little bit about Kenny Crenshaw, too, you know. I did his ads back in the early 1990s when they were just first getting started. Um, and when they moved to a new facility, there were no regulations or laws about what you had to do. But when he built his facility, he built it so that he could pull his trucks in and wash them off so that no residue mm-hmm. on them would get into the sewer so system. So he, he cares would, about the environment. It, it would be recycled. I think he spent like ten grand just mm-hmm. on a sealant for the concrete where they would wash this the trucks down. This was like down. 20 years, yeah. This years is like ago. 30 years, 40 yeah. years yeah. ago almost now. Um, and he's that kind of guy. Mm-hmm. He he does, goes the extra. I was sitting in his office one day when one of his um, applicators came by and he said, it's getting awful windy. And he, he just pull them in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and he, he really is. He's uh, He cares about his business and the type of business he does. And, uh, uh, he does my daughter's yard. You know, yeah. He does my really sister's good. yard, and she loves them. So yeah. if you want to give them a call, guys, uh, 390-9898, 390-9898. And like we said, just tell them you heard about it uh, from the Garden Show. Mm-hmm. Just say KWM, and yep. they'll know where you're coming from. You said um, a while ago, everything in a nutshell. Why is that? Why do we say that? Everything in a nutshell. Because you can get it a lot of stuff in a it, nutshell, Beta. Can you? Don't know. Interesting thought. I got to figure that one out. All right, y'all think about it and then give us a call after these messages.
Gardeners, welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you can be with us today. So uh, we decided, we figured out what everything in a nutshell means. <laughs> to put it in a nutshell. Nobody cares. <laughs> That's pretty much Except it in a nutshell. Except for me, I care. <laughs> I just have to know. Uh, to put it in a nutshell, somebody did something and wrote it really small and it could fit in a nutshell. So a lot of information can go in a nutshell. Jim. Yeah, I love it. Also, I just want to say, you know, we never give Philip uh, any clapping over the hands because he's the one over there taking care of us. He's here every morning that we're here. So our producer, Philip, thank you for everything that you do. Um, hey, we've all heard this before and we've all mm-hmm. seen it. Had a customer come into the garden center on her phone. She had a picture and on her picture was some beautiful looking crepe myrtle sprouts that were coming up in her backyard and it's where she had two crepe myrtles cut down and i know we've gone over this a thousand times but i'm telling you guys if you ever cut a crepe myrtle down at ground level and she did it for all the right reasons you're going to get crepe myrtle sprouts come up in that yard and and because that root system is it just wants to grow i'm telling you and she's like my god and i've never seen it quite this bad y'all but she's like what what can i do and, uh, you know, ideally you go in there and selectively spray every one of these sprouts with something like a brush killer or even, you know, like Roundup. And I said, you know, just be selective. Go in there and just selectively spray them. And I said, now listen, it's going to take more than one application of anything that you use. I don't care what you're using. She said, well, I've been just cutting them down, but they come right back. And I said, well, cutting them also with a lawnmower, pear snips. I mean, that helps also, but... You know, eventually you can deplete that root system of all the energy that's stored up down there. But I'm telling you, y'all, these were the prettiest, beautiful-looking sprouts I've ever seen in my life. And they were everywhere in this backyard. And we have a bed that we put our fountains in and some shrubs. And there was a crepe myrtle there a couple years ago. And um, never sprayed it. But, it, you know, the little things keep coming up. The sprouts keep coming up. So... I uh, said, you know, just pull them out, pull them out. So one of the guys was like, uh-huh, I'm going to set a fountain right on top of where these keep coming up. <laughs> yeah. Well, did it stop them from coming up? No. Nope. They just, they still grew out from underneath the fountain base all the way up around the sides. And, and, and that's my question. I mean, let's say if we ever do cut a crepe myrtle down for whatever reason, and I'm not really concerned about digging out the stump and because crepe myrtle trunks can get pretty dang big. But let's just say we cut one down. Do we go ahead at that moment and drill holes in that yeah. stump and use a brush killer undiluted to go ahead and try mm-hmm. to get a head start? Yeah, because yeah, yeah. if we would do that, then we'd be done with it. Right. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> so, and, but none of us, I never think about, I would never think about doing that, honestly, with a crepe myrtle. Yeah, but once that trunk has... Uh, dried, then you're not going to, it's not going to do any good to drill in it then. You're, and right. It so has such right a, after you cut it, down. it has such a massive root system with so many carbs in it. And usually people let the little sprouts get, you know, 15, 20 inches tall, and then they cut them off. Well, you can't get enough chemical on that foliage mm-hmm. to get down into there to kill the roots. So you need to l- either let it get taller so you can get more material on it or do something like we had a case last night where somebody was talking about trying to kill um, uh, crossvine. Yeah. And 
what they had done was, I mean, the crossvines run across the ground, but it just had sparse foliage on it. And, you know, because it's young and, mm. and they're spraying this and it's not killing it. Mm. So if you take it, mix you up some Roundup at brush killer rate, put it in a bucket, take that vine or, or one of those crepe myrtles limbs and pull it over in there and then put saran wrap or aluminum foil or something over the bucket so the water, you know, in, plant, uh, insect, I mean, pets, birds don't get in stuff can't get in there. And then just let it suck it, suck that stuff up because Roundup is translocated through the entire plant. Uh, if you use a brush killer on that, you're going to brown that foliage immediately. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to kill that, but you're still not helping that. You're trying to get rid of the root system. Right. Yeah. The root system's not being affected. So you want to use something that isn't going to brown that top that quick. So Roundup does that very, very well. So, but you got to have, you just got to have enough foliage for it to kill it. It won't kill yeah. Johnson grass to 24 inches tall, but if it gets up to about four feet, it will, because you can got enough you get foliage. get on it then. Right, to do it. It'll that makes outgrow sense. It. Okay. So. so you're just saying, all right, so don't fall under the, because I would go out there, as soon as I see a sprout. You want to cut it I'm off or spray it. Exactly. Right, and you just can't get enough chemicals, so it's going to keep trying. Yeah, and every time it puts up just a few leaves, it's making food and automatically replacing that. So, you know. <laughs> No Lord. plant wants to die before it's time. Remember that. Oh, man. <laughs> and I told this young lady, I said, listen, it's going to take more than one application. You're going to have to stay on this. But if you stay on it, eventually you'll get rid of it. And then some people actually alternate between the two. They'll use a Roundup-type product, gym and spray Veda. And then they'll go out there the next time, whenever that is, and spray a brush killer-type spray. Yeah. And see, that should burn the foliage off, so you, you can't really reapply anything after that. So, anyway. But I'm just telling you, it, it's a problem. And it people, is a problem. It, well, you know, and I'm using uh, Sucker Punch right now. You know, we've got four Natchez Great Myrtles in the front there, and we have the same issue. They're popping up. So, you know, as I see them come up, I let them get up about 12 inches tall, then I cut them off and I spray the Sucker Punch And on the there. difference is Sucker Punch is more of a growth, it's regulator, a growth regulator where, you know, the brush killers and the roundups are going to mm-hmm. kill. Right, and they're going to come back in six months or so. But I can't spray those sprouts Uh without damaging the great bird right. or potentially damage. But but with sucker punch you can. Right. Yeah. Sucker At this punch. place there's no crepe myrtle anymore. It just they just keep coming up from all right. the existing roots out there. You know, another thing we think we don't have to talk much about on the show is your water feature might be getting green, pea green water. Which is okay for the fish. They don't mind, but for us it kind of bothers us. We want to see the fish and all but that's just a natural occurrence that's happening in your water garden. Algae bloom. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And so if you're in full sun and you've got green water, but you don't have plants, then that can be the cause because you need like 70% of the surface covered with plants to keep the algae or the green water down. Uh, underwater grasses would be great. That would help too. Uh, there is um, biological products that you can put in your pond to break down the algae to help it out like that. And if, this is more for like a pond or a pool? Like a, well, like water gardens. I mean, okay. even if they're like four feet by four feet, you know, or if they're 30 by 30, you can it's still kind of the same principle. It's almost easier to keep a big one balanced than it is a smaller and Vader, one. And what about fountains, though? And Jim, you've had this before, too. I mean, if you've got like a big fountain out there, mm-hmm. you've got the, the pump and it's moving water. And right. I mean, it. You can still get an algae buildup, mm-hmm. can't you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. But, the, but the water doesn't, I mean, it doesn't like 
typically just green yeah, up it like it would in a right. and all. It, mm. it can turn mm. different colors. Mm. You can see it like an orange or a red or a, a brown. You know, it just kind of depends on the texture of the the uh, fountain or the bird bath. Um, or like the one the cray myrtle blooms fall into. It's the tannins and the all tannins that from, from yeah. yeah, browns it up. So the one under the cray myrtle, we almost clean daily. Well, that was going to be my question. If you've got like a fountain like that mm-hmm. and you do start seeing some of that either black or green or red, or yeah. algae mm-hmm. build up, I guess, what do you do? Just go in there and just clean it? Well, you brush? may have to scrub it, but there are some mm-hmm. chemicals that you can put in there that should help uh, Right. Keep that in check. Now, the thing is, every time it rains, it del- washes mm-hmm. some of that out. Gotcha. Every time you have to fill it, and with a fountain, you got to refill fairly mm-hmm. frequently because it's splashing out all the time right. and, and evaporation. So it, you're decreasing the amount of chemical in there, so you've got to stay on top of that. And you can keep them, you know, just mm-hmm. using even pool shock. You can yeah. keep them pretty clear. Okay. Right. Yeah. yeah, we have fountain tech. Yeah. You just pour that in there, it, it coagulates the algae. Gets it all bounded yeah, together. Yeah. Right. Or makes it dissipate, too, and breaks it down, dissipates in the air as a gas. Yeah, so that can happen, too. But, and it almost sounds bad, but you don't really notice the brown water in a water feature, you know, depending on the the shape that you have. And it's not stagnant and gross because it's turning all the time. But we'll lot of, if it's a smaller one, we'll just squirt it out with water, take a shot back and suck all the water out, kind of just clean the sides with a cleaning brush. So that's really all you're doing. You're just, just really cleaning the thing up and just yeah. starting over, right? Right, right. Yeah, and, then, and it, you don't have to do it a lot a lot of times, though. Those are water, for water features that don't have the plants in it. And a lot of people want to put plants in their water features, like a big basin, and it goes up about three tiers, but that just causes <laughs> uh, problems. So don't try to put plants in your water features. And then what about the filter on the pump, Jim and Veda? Uh, I mean, is that something that you really want to clean also? Yeah, you want, you know, I would do that every few days if you particularly if you have stuff falling into it, you know, or if you've got some algae in there, because yeah. it's just going to stress the pump out and burn it out right. quicker. Yeah, we, we cleaned yeah. ponds and we cleaned one, cleaned the filter out and everything. And a week later... She called frustrated and said, why well, guys didn't clean them out? And I go, well, we do. And this one was actually on camera. <laughs> we do, but it's going to, uh, that's the point of a filter is to collect mm-hmm. things. So after a week, it's collecting. And so you have to, you know, clean it out. Right, so that's just something you just keep an eye on then. If mm-hmm. you've got a big pump with a filter to move that water, especially right. if it's one of these big fountains I'm yeah. talking about. You know, you got the big basin, you got it goes up three or four mm-hmm. levels. I mean, it's like. People have a lawn, but you have to mow. People have a landscape, but you have to fertilize and water. Right. So I've never understood why people go, I don't want a fountain. It's too much trouble. Well, <laughs> yeah. it's just like mowing. You know, it's just like watering. I mentioned, uh, you know, somebody was asking, why do they, we have pots? So many pots are not drilled anymore. And I said, well, it's because a lot of people won't use them for water gardening. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. You know, I told true. her I bought 10 this spring and only drilled two of them. Wow. Yeah, planters. right. You know, the rest of them end up being water. And yeah. I've but seen, I've seen plants, pictures of your lotus. The plants will really help keep mm-hmm. it, you know. I've got I've got those uh, river orchids that are in a huge 25-gallon pot, and they're sitting in a big, wide uh, vinyl saucer. That saucer gets green as it yeah. can be with water in yeah. there, but uh. it sits in water all the time. So to cure that, I picked up some uh, water hyacinths from, from uh, 
uh, Veda, and they're, you know, the water hyacinths are this tall. They're growing, or that's about 12 inches for those of you who can't see me on the radio. Uh, but it, they're sitting in three inches of water, you know. Oh, uh, gotcha. So all they have to do is have wet roots, and, you know, and they're blooming and just all the way around the pot. Gotcha. Gotcha. I love it. I love it. Okay, y'all, hey, we'll be right back. Good. good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. We had Judy Wood post on our Facebook Live, any success in repairing broken clay pots or saucers? They're yeah, cheap. Go buy new ones. <laughs> <There's> <laughs> no, it almost yeah. never works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are glues that you can use uh, to try to piece back a broken pot uh, or a saucer, especially if it's just one crack yeah. or one break. Right. Uh, I mean, and then even some of these Gorilla glues mm-hmm. that you buy now, I mean, they'll hold anything together. So, yeah, I mean, there's some success, but if it's more than, I think, more than one break or one yeah. crack. Don't do it. It is just, yeah. It, uh, Unless it's your mother's flower pot that and you she just told broke. you not yes. to be throwing the ball in the house and then you really work on gluing it together. Does it work? Yeah, it worked for me for, hmm, a month until yeah. mom decided to rearrange and turn the flower pot and the whole back was broke yeah, but, but it was glued together yeah but yeah i mean <laughs> but you know like a wood glue and elmer's glue those kind of glues are just not mm-hmm. going to get it you yeah. you're going to have to get like a gorilla glue something that's going to really bind mm-hmm. clay together but the problem with that is clay is very porous yeah and it's just hard to get a solid surface mm-hmm. for that glue to really stick to yeah. if you know what i mean so yeah. you could buy time with it possibly yeah you, you can know, buy time with if, it if you had the stuff around do it i'm always gonna try it always gonna try it yeah but um long term just get some more because yeah they are inexpensive and now there's white ones and brown ones that are good price points too to kind of upgrade your clay pot look <laughs> yeah <laughs> also uh guys if you're ever growing blueberries uh, let me say this. I think one of the first things you ought to do is get your pH tested. I had a young lady come into the garden center with a picture of some beautiful-looking blueberry bushes, but the problem was every one of them had chlorosis, had the yellow leaves with the green veins in them. And, you know, we were like, I said, you know, usually that is a lack of iron, uh, and you can get, you know, liquid iron uh, that you can pour around them. You can get actually a fertilone product called soil acidifier plus iron. It's yeah. got a lot of iron in it. And it's got sulfur and manganese and that stuff in it. But I said, listen, the first thing you really need to do is get this pH tested. Yeah. And the pH came back like 6.2 or 6.3. So acidic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but it needs to be more acidic. <laughs> it's 100 times too alkaline. Yes. I mean, yeah. it needs to be four and a half or five uh-huh. and a half. And that was the only problem with these blueberries was just the pH but of then, the soil. But you know what's crazy, too, is one time or every once in a while, I'll test something that is doing so exceptionally well. And sometimes it breaks all the rules. Like, <laughs> this blueberry's doing uh, great, right. and it's it's 7, and alkalinity 7, when they're supposed to live in 5.5. Or heliotrope. I wouldn't recommend planting it in a certain location, but Leslie did, and it looks fantastic. Yeah, I mean, you there's know? always so exceptions. Always that exception. To the rule. But I'm telling you, overall, uh, you, you know, pH, I, I never really think about pH, honestly, Unless it comes to a lawn or things that you know that have to have acidic soil or really want that acidic soil, Pachysandra as a ground cover, blueberries. And I'm telling you, this thing, like Jim was saying, you know, seven is neutral, right? Mm -hmm. 
Six is 10 times more acidic, 10 times more acidic than seven. Five is 100 times more acidic. To kind of give you an idea. Thing that blows my mind. Wouldn't it only be twenty times more? No. See that? No, it's exponentially every yeah. time. So you know, he, here she she would. This young lady was at six point three, and she needed to be at four and a half or five and a half. So that is a huge difference in the pH factor from where she is and where she needed to be. Yeah. And that's why the I don't care what she had done, whether she's putting Hollytone down, Elemental Sulfur, Soil Acidifier, Iron, whatever. Yeah. All of that would help short term, but until she gets that pH down to where these blueberries need to be, they're they're going to suffer. I just think how much animals, plants, and humans are the same. Humans have to have the proper pH for everything to process right. Absolutely. I wish there was a pH soil test that was easy and expensive like there is for plants. <laughs> but pH is, it, 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 like a lot of times, a lot of plants are pH adaptive. You know, if it's a little one way, they'll do just fine. If it's a little gem the other way, they'll do fine also. And some, like barberries, can even raise their own pH Isn't to get it to where crazy? it is. Isn't it? But, but, that is incredible. But when the pH yeah. is, when you've got a plant that really wants either a high pH or a plant that really wants a low pH, and it's drastically swung the other way, one mm-hmm. or the other, then that's when you can see the problems come up. Well, just keep adding compost, organic matter. Some plants don't want a lot of it, though, you know, like um, like the hookahs, uh, the Linton rose, epimedium. What you about all really those? You don't really have to put a whole bunch of compost in those. You can add compost in with the soil, but you really don't have to make a really rich humus Bad and you want to make sure that whatever you're adding really is going to do what you think it's going to do because uh-huh. you know you we see and we're going to address a lot of this next week on the show, but uh, so many people say you know put coffee grounds in your compost pile or around your mm-hmm. plants it's very acidic it is not it yeah. comes out of the of out of your Keurig at about six point seven. Mm-hmm. Which is almost neutral. Right. It's going to do exactly the opposite thing. Jim, I've heard for a hundred years. I know you have. That mm-hmm. people put coffee grounds down around the hydrant just to turn them blue. And you're telling me. It ain't happening. I don't want to hear. Uh, it ain't happening. Yeah. <laughs> is, is that a myth or, or what no, are you saying? It's, it is a, it's a myth. It is yeah. a myth. Right. I mean, there are people doing research um, and universities with coffee grounds, but they're only using the coffee grounds in terms of another product that you can mix in with uh, your soil to amend it and help with loosening. They're not using it to be adjusting the pH. It's just another source. It's a green manure. I mean, if you want to add it to your compost, but it's not going to uh, do anything to your pH. Isn't that crazy? And I know you're right. I was just kidding Uh with you while ago because... Everyone has heard that it uh-huh. brings pH down. I mean, yeah. everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, great, you know, pH is extremely difficult to change. Your is. soil is very, very stable. You can put lime on it and, you know, forget about it, and it goes right back to where it was. So you've got to make sure that you keep like, because you not only have pH, you have that, um, you know, and of course, what I was going to say just slipped right out of my mind. <laughs> See, so, you got but my anyway, talent, too. But it, but it, you're right, You can Jim. delete a conversation while you're saying it. But, yeah. but it is, to me, I think it's easier to raise the pH than it is to lower the pH. That would be true. But it's, they're still very, very stable. So, you know, it's going to take a lot to get it down. Or a or lot up. to get it up. Right. So, I mean, yeah, but, but I, my whole point of bringing this up is 
pH can be pretty darn important. Oh, it's extremely when it, when it comes to certain plants. Because, like I said, a lot of plants are completely adaptive. They'll do fine wherever you put them. But check that pH every now and then. All right, so join me next week. That's going to be a solo show for me. We're going to talk about all the myths of gardening. And you're probably going to not believe me, but, you know, <laughs> tune in anyway. I might be out of town, but I might have to tune Thank in. You both, or listen to the podcast later. See y'all soon.